This is a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. Uh, uh, there was a, there was a problem a with technical hitch. There's a problem with the buttons, and it wasn't my fault this week. It was really good. It was really good. Uh, uh, Natalie's saying it's her fault, but I, d- I think that it's not really anyone's fault. Uh, it's, uh, no one's uh, to blame. No one's. To, I'm not. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. But what I'm gonna uh, uh, um, are, we, are we saying it's pre-record? Let's say it's live. Let's it's pretend live. it's live. It's live, uh, but uh, but <laughs> we're, we're we're broadcasting to you thirty seconds in the future. future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a thirty. This is co- yeah. Perhaps it's all coming from the future. Way, but it's not. It's, yeah, it's coming it's from the, the past. past. Um. <laughs> but then, if you listen to the podcast, it's not live. Sure. And b- by all means, past. punch that like button and hit that subscribe <laughs> and listen to the podcast because um, we're uh, on the, uh, we've got a podcast. We've got a podcast. I imagine it'd be quite funny for it's, a lot of people listening to this. This is the podcast. It's the same, innit? Just without the music. You, you imagine it'd be quite not funny for... I was going to say uh, it'd be quite funny if you listened to some of the early podcasts because it probably feels like we're a bit more unprofessional and not as slick as we are now if you listen uh, to some, what? some of the early ones, I reckon. Be, uh, but also if you um, listen to them, uh, the early ones, it's even further in the past. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> even less live. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, um, one of us is busy on Friday today now as you're listening mm. so we're pre-recording on Monday guess which, which means we've only had a weekend guess, <laughs> guess, which, guess which one guess which one uh, <laughs> guess which one who's got another <laughs> another engagement uh, that makes me feel very uncomfortable Nat <laughs> no I mean <laughs> good for you good for you <laughs> oh do you know what though good hope for it's me fun. hope it's fun it's good, good for me so, yeah I, it sounds like a good show uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, only I, I like watching it. It's good. It is yeah, a good show. So yeah, um, right. Okay. Well. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, uh, well, you've just deleted all the stuff. Okay. Oh. Cool. Oh. Um, so uh, my name is Nick Helm, <laughs> and my name is Nathaniel McCall, <laughs> and you're listening to Nick and that, that's fan, fan club. club. That's fan, fan club. club. First rule of fan club is tell your friends about fan club. Second rule of fan club is please, for the love of God, tell your friends. Tell your fucking friends. Don't keep it a fucking secret. Some haven't been telling your friends. It's not like it's not like it's just like you know. Oh, we want to own them. We want to own them. It's like you know. <laughs> tell your friends, isn't it? Hey, tell your friends. It's Christmas. Give them the gift of fan club. It's so. Christmas. It's not quite though, is it? No, but it will be. But um, before Christmas, tell them about fan club, and then tell them at Christmas and after Christmas. We had a lovely um, uh, email <laughs> message come in <laughs> saying, "Good morning, Nick and Nathaniel." It's normally noon, so that's that's wrong for a start. And by the time we would got to it, it would be like past noon. So uh, it's good afternoon, Nick and Nathaniel. Oh, that's true. Uh, love the show. Easily one of the best on digital radio. All right, easily. <laughs> All right, Didn't, that's like a bit of a dig, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Negging, isn't it? I think he wants. I think Frank. <laughs> Frank is trying to get us to fancy him. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> love, it's working. Love the show. Easily one of the best on. Digital radio. Uh, <laughs> I saw the Grinch this week, and although it was deeply average, if made, it made, it made me. me think about recent Christmas films. I'm struggling to remember any decent ones. So, what are your fave Christmas films from, from this, this millennium? millennium? I'm going to be rather edgy there, Nat, and I'm going to say, 
One of my favourite ever Christmas films, not from this millennium, is Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't normally think of that as a Christmas film. Is it film. a Christmas film? It's a Christmas film. It's a Christmas film. It's a Christmas film. It's going to be a bit more edgy. Uh, one of my other favourite <laughs> Christmas films is a little film that I like to call Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Is that a Christmas film? Is that a Christmas hey. film? <laughs> set at Christmas, isn't it? It's set at Christmas. Do you know what one of my favourite Christmas films is? It's going to be a bit edgy here. I'm not going to say what you expect. Huh? Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, I think Gremlins is one of my favourite Christmas Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't care who it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking outside the box there. The VHS box. You want to spoil this, but you know a lot of uh, Shane Black's films. They're, they're often set at Christmas. Do you know what one of my favourite Christmas films is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Is that set at Christmas? Is that set yeah, Christmas? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. 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 Iron Man 3! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're such an alternative the long, person. The long kiss, good night! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Actually, The Long Kiss, Good Night is a good film. Yes. It's a it's really great good film. film. Great movie. Oh, all time. Oh, I mean, all those movies you mentioned are good movies. All to time be fair. Best. They are all good, but <laughs> what fucking hell. Do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know my favourite Christmas movie is? What? It's a Wonderful Life. It, it's quite very Christmassy. And um, it's, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but that's, you're, that's not just like. That's like. Um, you know, what. <laughs> I thought we said it before, but it's like when you go. Uh, what's your, what's your favourite. What's your favourite song? It's like. Um, all I want for Christmas is you. Yeah, no, no, no. Not what's your favourite Christmas song. What's your favourite song? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> it is, yeah. And it's a wonderful life. Is genuinely your favourite. It's film. my favourite movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of all time. Do you think that is because um, uh, you like you'd like to live in Bedford Falls? I think a bit, a bit. I do. And, and I, do you know what? You are a bit of a George Bailey, aren't you? Uh, in a way, in a way, I like this nice. You're a good man at heart. I'm trying to be a good man at heart. Uh, deeply flawed <laughs> and suicidal. Um. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, you are a bit of a, a James Stewart, I think. That's nice. I like I like the film. I try and be a good try and be a good man in the world. Yeah, I <laughs> but think don't we you, all? I think don't we you all like James Stewart in Vertigo. <laughs> Uh, you're a sex pest. <laughs> uh, uh, you and you uh, are, uh, are quite abusive. But you know what, Nick? I think uh, I think you're a good person too. Oh, thank you. That's okay. But I think you are. That sounds like it's a joke, doesn't it? By doing it in a funny voice, really whereas actually, it's like actually. Do you know what? Tries to be nice and sincere, but it actually sounds like. Uh, I think we're all good people, aren't we? We're all trying to do no, our best. No, we're not all good people. No, we're not, not all, all trying us. to do our best. But, so most um, of us in the world, or I like to think most of us. Yeah, but that really, uh, like, like you don't know how much I needed to hear you say you think I'm a good person. Of course I think you're a good person. And then you immediately yeah. undo that by saying, <laughs> I think we're all good people in a way. And then you go, what, including despots yeah. and uh, dictators and fascists and the... the anyway, I'm not going to be well, I think I think, you're, I think you're a good person. Yeah, very nice person, very kind person. I think you're quite big-hearted, and you've got a big, big heart. You like to share things with people. Thanks, man. It's all right. It's, That's fine. I've had. A, uh, yeah, do you know what? I do. I, I do need to hear it every so often. Um, thanks, George. <laughs> George Bailey. You see, it really was a wonderful life after all. Did you ever read? Um, the what is it? Back to reality. What was the, what was the was uh, better than life? Better than life. The second Red Dwarf book. 
Oh, no, I didn't really get into Red Dwarf and Red Dwarf books. You never were into Red Dwarf at all? I liked, I liked it when it started and when I was a kid. And then it felt like... I remember it having, like, a, a couple of years off or something. <coughs> and I remember watching it in about the first or second year of secondary school. Going, oh, Red Dwarf's on. I love Red Dwarf. I remember it starting again and going, this is... This is this is not for me, <laughs> and had a weird like thing like oh, I thought I liked this. It was like well, I guess it was still in the main run. I think it must have been a, a time when I had a couple of years off or something. It would have been. And in my head, I was like really like I thought I was really into it. No, no, it would have been older than that. So in yeah, series seven. Maybe it was that. Yeah, the, the original six uh, series all ran together. Oh yeah, so uh, it was probably that then. Whenever series and, seven and came they out. were all great, and then um, uh, the later series were a bit. Uh, but different. the last series was excellent. Okay, I didn't. I um, yeah, I think that's there was a, there was a break and I watched it and <laughs> thought thought I was really into it and I remember watching it and being like, oh, was it always like this? I think I think Red Dwarf is quite a weird one because as a sitcom, it's really funny mm. and it was always really funny for the six uh, those first six series before before there was a natural break. There mm. was six series that were all together that sort of like gradually improved as they went. I think the pinnacle was season five. Series five, which was uh, which was my first series that I got into it, and then I went back and got all the videos and stuff. Um, and then series six was really good, and then it had a really amazing ending, which was kind of a bit like uh, Blackadder Goes Forth, only in space. And then there was like a natural, there was a hiatus where it, it was it was sort of meant to be a to be continued, but in a way it was kind of perfect the way it ended. And then they started doing it again. Um, and uh yeah the the uh it, yeah it wasn't quite as uh, it was it wasn't quite what it was i think rimmer got written out of this, uh, the seventh episode the tr seventh series they tried to do sort of like some weird things and chris barry wasn't was doing some other stuff he wasn't really available for it and it wasn't quite the same uh, and they got an, they got another actress in to play Kachansky, who wasn't the same actress that played her before. And That's it was kind right. Of, I and it was that kind happening. of like a bit of Chloe Arnett, and it was kind of like oh, because it was Claire Grogan. Yes, yeah. And um, yeah, it was just kind of like the little things like that were. But then I also think that the emphasis went from being a sitcom to being a science fiction show with some jokes, and that was kind of like a big, for me, that was kind of like a big thing. And I did a, I did a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I mean how are we meant to have a serious discussion about Red Dwarf with stuff like that written on our screen Harold Shipman wasn't very nice no he wasn't to be fair but he did try his best he tried his best he tried his hardest um, and he did very well <laughs> and what he tried to do he was he was very successful very successful um, the um, yeah anyway so when I was at school, I used to read. Uh, there were two really good. I remember them doing books. It was Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, and then they uh, they had a creative. And the split. books aren't in the same universe, or are they in the same? They're sort of like alternative timelines or something, aren't they? Mm, they, well, what are they? They're basically Red Dwarf if they had the budget to do everything they wanted to do. Oh, okay, I get it. So, so like, it would be like if there was a movie, it would be that. Um, I, I guess in the old days when they were trying to get a movie, I, I would, I always assumed it was just going to be kind of like uh, this is this is what it be because they amalgamate. It's not like it's not episodic in a way where it's like then it's this episode, mm -hmm. then it's this episode, but they kind of like pick the episodes that go well together, and then they combine them all to make kind of like a series, and then they do better than life. Where in the um, in the game, it was. Um, 
no in the tv series it was uh uh they basically go down to a beach and uh there's a marilyn monroe look-alike and they're in like a virtual reality game where hey, it's better than life and none of them really want to leave and in the book um at the end of the first book uh lester ends up in bedford falls Oh, right, now I remember something about this. I've been, I've been, I have been told about this before. And he had the opportunity to leave, but then he goes, but he couldn't leave her, not on Christmas Eve, but then in Bedford Falls. It's always, it's always Christmas Eve. What a lovely idea. And when that's how it ends, and you yeah. go, oh, he's never going to come out of the computer game. And then there's the sequel, which is, I think, called Better Than Life. And a large portion, of the first half of the book, they're in there. It's good. It's, the, 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 those books were brilliant. And even later on, when they started writing separately, um, I still really enjoyed the books. But I think there was sort of like um, uh, there was something magical about those two working together. Um, yeah. And what was the thing of that? Do they they don't work together anymore? I remember those guys also did a series called The Ten Percenters. I remember The Ten Percenters. It was about agents, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't remember who was in it, but I remember watching it and then going, "This isn't in space." But, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't. And it, was, <laughs> it wasn't. But they used to write, didn't they? Used to write for Spitting Image, and they used. To yeah, do... I think they were certainly like big sort of writers at the time, weren't they? Of the day of the sort of eighties mm. and nineties of that set. Yeah. I've just been uh, reminded here, Nick. That's quite a cool thing I saw you're doing at the uh, BFI. You're doing yeah, like I'm not ready to promote that yet. Anyway, so we were talking <laughs> about Christmas films. So your favourite oh, yeah, yeah. Christmas film. And is, film is It's a Wonderful Life. Is It's a Wonderful Life. This Grinch thing, I saw a trailer for The Grinch. Yeah, it's a new The Grinch, isn't it? CG, uh, CGI. CGI. When, I, when I went to see, um, uh, I keep wanting to call it We Will Rock You, but Bohemian Rhapsody. So do I. And do you know what I also want to keep doing? What? Watching it again. <laughs> I loved it so much. There's something about the way uh, that the kid from Jurassic Park at the end when they're doing Live Aid, he's sort of like box stepping around with his bass when they're doing Live Aid. And uh, there's no footage of him really at Live Aid. It's very, well, the actual footage was very Freddie Mercury centric. Mm -hmm. So the others are kind of, I guess, improvising or they're kind of like, uh, they've been. They're all getting standout moments, and he just sort of like this box step with this bass, and it's such a. It's probably really difficult for uh, the fellow that plays Freddie Mercury because he probably has to be super accurate because he knows the Queen fans will be very like. I think he even does a thing where he, drink, he takes a sip from the uh, Pepsi glass just exactly before he at the same singing. time. Yeah, it's so he's obviously had to study it and have gone. This is this bit, and the other the other three are going. Well, this is easy. Just do what I like. Well, apparently they did all of that. Ray, uh, they Rami did all Malek, of that. he's called, isn't he? They did all of that on uh, the first day. With, uh, oh, what, the, the Live Aid stuff? Yeah, they did the Live Aid stuff on the first few days of filming. They spent the first week doing the Live Aid stuff. And I think that um, I, I saw an interview with uh, Rami Malik. Rami Malik. Mm. saw an interview with him, and he was like saying that basically he, he just assumed it was because if they fucked that up, then they'd just pull the plug on the film and be like, well, <laughs> we haven't got an ending, <laughs> so uh, we're not going to waste everyone's time by doing it. If you haven't got the... If the whole point of your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if the whole pinnacle point of your film, which is unbelievably doing the doing an entire recreation of Live Aid, <laughs> of their whole performance, because they start and you just think they'll just do the one song, and they do all of the songs. Did we talk about this the other week? It's just like, uh, I know you spoke to me about it, yeah. It's fucking crazy, because you go, surely... They'll just cut away now. You'll do, you'll do, you'll do Bohemian Rhapsody. Hmm. Okay, right, are you doing the next one? Okay, well, you probably do two or three to give us a taster. Uh, and it'll be like a montage of the... Oh, no, you're doing the third song, fourth song. 
this song and you're doing the whole, and it's fucking crazy because is it filmed like a concert like it almost like if it was live or is it filmed like a film it's filmed like a film right and because um, because you've got the concert footage so you haven't tried to recreate the concert footage right. um but it's yeah it's like a film but which is when you see something like a star is born and how far they've pushed how you can film a lot i think just the I'm not sure how I feel about A Star Is Born. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people loved it. Mm-hmm. I liked parts of it, mm-hmm. but I also thought equally it was simultaneously the best and the worst film I'd ever seen. Not ever seen, but there were some very bad bits in it. Um, and um, But I thought the live performance part of it, that opening scene when he's... Um, where is he? Where's where's the gig? Is it Was it filmed at Glastonbury? Or was it filmed... What's the other one? It was filmed at Glastonbury. Coachella, yeah. So they filmed at Coachella and Glastonbury, and um, yeah, just really, really amazing. When you've seen that within the like the last like six weeks, and then you see it's very CGI, you know, in um, Bohemian Rhapsody, bow rap, bow rap. So it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting comparing them together because it doesn't have any of that live energy but what it uh, oh, I just I, it's weird I'm so surprised with myself because <laughs> I, I went in not wanting to hate it but I went in knowing I was going to hate it mm. and then when I loved it from the very first mo- <laughs> like f- even before the film started when the fanfare comes out when I loved it from there and it was just like oh wow it's shaking you to your core you're a different man than you thought you were well I was really I, I saw that it was on my skybox and I was just like oh brilliant I'll, I'll download that and uh, and I'll watch it again one night and then I was disappointed to find out it was a it was a pre pre order. Oh that's a bit much, isn't it? So um yeah, so I was a bit disappointed about that. Anyway, so this uh, so anyway, before that there was a trailer for the Grinch. <coughs> oh yeah yeah. And you go, yeah yeah yeah. And I I'm not a fan of the Jim Carrey Grinch. No. I, I only saw it for the first time last year and it perhaps wasn't as bad as I thought it would. In that it's like it's got that episodic thing where you got bits of it where you go I mean, this would be like... If it was a TV thing that was half an hour, it'd probably be all right. There's just so much... Because the story only needs to be... like If you read the book, it would take you five minutes. Well, I like the original Dr. Zeus animated... Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, Chuck Jones won the Chuck... Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant with uh, Boris Karloff. Right, yeah. Yeah. Is it Boris Karloff? Yeah. That's even cooler, isn't it? Yeah, right, okay. Um, So I like that. I remember watching that when I was growing up. And then the Jim Carrey one makes me feel sick. It makes me feel... Like I've got um, some sort of flu kicking in. It's like watching <laughs> Batman and Robin. You know that sort of like it feels very contained on sound yes. stages and very garish. Yeah. And I actually feel <clears throat> claustrophobic for yeah. Jim Carrey. Yeah. Just thinking about and and all the actors have got some fucking makeup stuck all over their faces mm. and it's just kind of like it it makes me feel very claustrophobic. But it's uh, it's been several of my girlfriend's uh, favorite christmas films. Oh really? So um <laughs> I uh, my, I read a thing that was quite interesting at the time that it was um Ron Howard did it when he made it. He said it was coming out of the cusp of them just switching over to sort of digital effects. Right. And he had this thing where he said I just want to have a go at making a practical effects film. And so that's why it's all it's Rick Baker isn't it who does all the yeah. makeup for it. So it's this idea of going just before I can't do it anymore. I just want to make a one big kind of essentially like fantasy practical effects movie again, yeah. like a sort of Willow again, just because he sort of was aware that that era was ending. And so he was like, I'm going to make a kid's film and I'm going to really resist using any of the new technology and try and do yeah. one last bash at having like a... 
And when I heard that, I went, ah, that's quite a nice reason for you to do it. I like Ron Howard, and, and I like I like you, Ron Howard. I think you're a nice fella. I don't hate it. Um, I mean, this is so off topic. I mean, I don't I don't hate the film, um, and I think Jim Carrey's really good in it, and all of that. And I and I, mm. and I don't hate Ron Howard as a director, mm. um, but I do find that film very claustrophobic, and it makes me feel like oh, it really does. It it makes you feel hot. Yeah, <laughs> and, and really uncomfortable. You can just imagine watching it. Um, uh, just before Christmas, with most of the lights out, except for the Christmas tree lights uh, on, and uh, the film is on, and it, by the end of it, you feel very sort of oppressed <laughs> and uncomfortable. You're right. Um, but with this new one, you've got the Grinch, and all the way through the trailer, he's smiling and playing with his pets, and yeah, you well, go, "That's so un- that's very ungrinch like, dude." Yeah. <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's Benedict Cumberbatch, isn't it? He's the voice yeah, of the Yeah, which, but he's doing an American accent. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. And it's it's called The Grinch rather than How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And it, I wondered, and because it's out, like, already, I was, I was thinking, is it even that story or is it, it like... It is. But, okay. But also it's a little bit... Well, I guess The Nightmare Before Christmas stole, stole yeah. off it to a certain extent where yeah. he's kind of, like, trying to steal everyone's presents and... I don't know. Um... I, I just, this is based on a trailer, but I saw the trailer for it and he was just smiling all the way through it. And you go, well, that's not, <clears throat> that's yeah. wrong for a start. But it, you, you can't make a film called The Grinch and then go, oh, hang on a minute, kids kids probably don't want to watch a film about a miserable man. So we'll make him, you know, pretty fun and cool. Yeah. And he <laughs> hangs around with his pets and his pets go, can we sleep in your bed with you? And he goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mind you, if you don't want to show a film about a, a, a grumpy man at Christmas, then it's pretty brave of you to show a man that sleeps with his pets. <laughs> um, he's the, not a man, he's a Grinch. The Who's down in Whoville like Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season, but don't ask me why, no one quite knows the reason. Could it be... <laughs> Keep going. Hang on, how much do I know of it? Uh, I love the book. This is like me and Rapper's Delight. <laughs> I start off quite confidently. <laughs> Hang on. Uh, oh, what is it? Perhaps his shoes. Is no, this is radio. terrible now. <laughs> <laughs> terrible now. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, I've, got, I've lost it. Okay. I've lost the thread. I saw my first Christmas film of uh, the season last night. Oh yeah, I watched uh, the Family Stone. Starring, Hang on, what was that? Starring Diane Keaton, um, uh, Rachel McAdams, Claire Danes, Sarah Jessica Parker. Who's the dad? Who's the dad out of Poltergeist? I always forget his name. Oh, um, Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson. I like him. Uh, Dermot Mulroney, and of course, Luke Wilson. It was. Uh, it was not a good film. Oh, well, I sort of vaguely... When did that come out? I vaguely remembered it. Le- further ago than I thought. It was like 2004, I think. Uh, yeah, but it's like a real... I, I always thought it was like a, um, a Sarah Jessica Parker... Uh, romantic, 2005, Sarah Jessica Parker romantic comedy. But in actual fact, that is an element to it. But it's a real ensemble piece. Um, and when did Rachel McAdams... Um, when did they do the wedding crashes? That would be around the same sort of time, right? So yeah, but it felt very much sort of like 
I mean, there's a, they've shown us a picture here. Dermot Moroni, hot. That's what uh, Natalie said. Uh, I mean, yeah. If you're watching, yeah, I wouldn't recommend The Family Stone. I quite like that it's called The Family Stone and they seem to have cast uh, seven people that couldn't look unlike each other. More unlike <laughs> each other. The idea they all belong to the same family. Well, they don't, is the thing. Mm. Uh, so you've got Dermot Mulroney and uh, Owen Wilson. Yes. Uh, Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson. Dermot Mulroney and uh, Luke Wilson playing brothers. Uh, and you just think, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Really? <laughs> Who could they have got? Who could they have got to, to play Luke Wilson's brother? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someone that'd have like a. It's tough, Nick. You'd have to find someone that has like a family resemblance, and they're tough. They've got Dermot Mulroney, and he doesn't look anything like him. But I mean, but who were they going to get? Who could they possibly have found that looked like Luke Wilson? I mean, there's the the Royal Tannenbaum's film, isn't there, where they cast... Uh... It's weird, that, though, isn't it? Because you've got, you got Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson, and they're in the film about a family, but they're not playing brothers. They're yeah, playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, I don't really think they've got any scenes with each other. No. I think Luke Wilson is so good in that film. Oh, he's so good. Um, a very moving film, isn't it? That's oh, a Christmas movie. It makes me cry every single time. In is a way. It? Is it? No, it isn't. No, it isn't, is it? I'm thinking it's because their name's Tannenbaum and that's Christmas tree in German. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> Matt Kincaid is a version of it. Oh, oh yeah. Tannenbaum. <laughs> it's weird because he's talking in German. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, Claire Danes and Sarah Jessica Parker play sisters and they look nothing like each other. No. Um, it's a weird film. Uh, it's not a weird film. But it is kind of like on the cusp of being kind of like a Royal Tenenbaums-ish film. It wants to be the Royal Tenenbaums. It sort of wants to. It wants its cake and it, uh, it mm. wants its Christmas cake. And I it, mean, to be fair, it's got it. it's got a good cast. It's, it's, it it's, a, good, it's a smashing I, cast. I said I said before I love Craig <laughs> T. Nelson. Um, yeah, I love him, uh, especially in Poltergeist. But um, yeah, and he's Mister Incredible from the Incredibles movies. Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, anyway, it was my first film of the season. I watched it last night, did not like it. Um, on uh, Saturday, though, uh, so I've got loads of things. Um, wanted to talk about uh, how I've just watched a couple of uh, Richard Gere films. Oh, yeah. Uh, and what I, and I'm, I'm sort of like reevaluating how I feel about Richard Gere. I've never really loved him. No, I haven't really. I mean, that he's, I think I've slightly misjudged him because I think I missed his, uh, his sort of 80s hate. I think I was. Too young for him to be like prime prime gear. Yeah, and uh, he's, he's got a USP, which a lot of other people that you could kind of like put in his wheelhouse don't really subscribe to. And what would that be? So I've, I've always loved Pretty Woman. Yeah, that's like one of my childhood films. When I saw it, I was just like, oh, I love this. It was just, it was just. I only saw I saw Pretty Woman for the first time about three years ago oh really and I really like I just was like I just went I, I think this isn't what I think it is and when I watched it absolutely wasn't I thought it was great oh yeah it's um, it's such a romantic film uh, yeah it's <laughs> yeah it's on my list of, uh, of um, stuff like I mean I love Dirty Dancing as well it's also um, much more of a sort of shocking film than I was expecting I thought it was going to be much more um Play down. Isn't it the reason why they invented Touchstone? Or was that, am I, am I wrong? Oh, maybe. Because it's a Disney film. Right, and, and it's, yeah, yeah, they had, to, still, uh, they had to sort of uh, launch Touchstone so that they could release more adult films. I'm not sure if that's the exact film that it was. Anyway, 
Uh, so you've got like, people like uh, Kevin Costner. Who else would you put in that list? You've got Richard Gere, Kevin Costner, Mike, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford. Sort of. I think Ke- my thing with Richard Gere, which I think sort of sets him apart, is that I always think he's a sort of quite a pretty boy actor, right? Yeah, but he exclusively... Um, so I watched Officer and a Gentleman for the first time, expecting it to be this really romantic kind mm-hmm. of film about a guy that tries really hard and he meets a woman and he carries her off and, he, and she wears his hat. Hmm. You thought it was going to be a film of a man who's both an officer and a gentleman. But he's he's more of a, a cunt that becomes slightly less cuntish. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And then you, I watched American Gigolo and Primal Fear, and even even Pretty Woman, he's a bit of a dickhead at the beginning, mm. and he just plays arseholes. That's that's <laughs> what he does. And you go and but like really, when I saw Officer and a Gentleman, I was like, oh, I don't like this because I don't really like the lead character. He's very unlikable. Then you watch a lot of Richard Gere's films, and he's always unlikable. And it's like he goes out of his way to play arrogant uh, dickheads uh, <laughs> who are completely unlikable. And in actual fact, that's made given me a new respect because someone like Kevin Costner will be kind of like trying to protect himself the whole time and be like, no, I've got to look the best I can possibly look in this film. Uh, and I love Kevin Costner, but that's kind of like, oh, well, I'm going to make Field of Dreams because it's about a great guy. I'm going to make JFK because it's about a great guy. You know, and, get, and flawed, but great, you know. And that's what he, what he... That's kind of like what Kevin Costner goes out to make. And I've always kind of like lumped Richard Gere as kind of like a lesser Kevin Costner. Yes, and yeah. And then when you watch... Uh, when you actually start sitting down and watching Richard Gere films, you go, oh, he's trying to do something completely different. He's just, he doesn't give a shit whether he's likeable in the film. He's just letting all of the work speak for itself and he's actually creating... um, They're not flawed but great men. They're just flawed, pretty ugly men. (laughs) And Richard Gere's doing them. And it gave me sort of like... I think Primal Fear is a really great film where he plays this really arrogant lawyer... And I'm kind of really into that era of 90s thrillers where, um, where they feel very much of their time. Um, they were kind of like the Morgan Freeman did kind of uh, Along Came a Spider mm-hmm. and uh, then there was stuff like The Bone Collector. And then I guess Seven came along and just absolutely destroyed that kind of blueprint. Mm-hmm. But there's even stuff like the Tommy Lee Jones film, Double Jeopardy, all of the John Grisham films like The Client and The Pelican Brief, they all feel very sort of like uh, mid to late 90s. Even The Fugitive, right? Very sort of like 90s. um, uh, And very kind of... They're almost like our equivalent of Agatha Christie thrillers. Yeah, the Grisham ones were like uh, massive, weren't they? Like for... There was probably a period of like five or six years where like they were almost like the biggest movies out. But From sort of the firm, I guess, was a big big opener till like I guess time firm? to kill. Was the juror one? Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure if the juror was the John client. Christian. The client was a, was a Pelican Brief, but then they started going really weird. They did um, the Rainmaker. The Rainmaker was Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. The Rainmaker. I mean, if you actually sit down and you watch the John Grisham movies. Um, it's it's so interesting how uh, each director, because from a distance, if you watch the trailers, they all feel fairly similar. Yeah, yeah. Can you just look up who directed the Pelican Brief, who directed the Client, and who directed a Time to Kill? I have Kill a feeling was, the Client is Joel Schumacher. Wasn't a Time to Kill Joel Schumacher? It was, yeah, but I think maybe the Client was as well. Right, yeah. Like, um, but I think it was almost uh, Joel Schumacher almost jumping on a bandwagon of like 
we can basically make these. I think a lot of directors worked on those films because they're almost like guaranteed smash hits. Who, you know what I mean? Because yeah. the books were so massive. Oh yeah, but and who did who did the juror as well? They um, uh, yeah, but the, but so you watch hmm, which one did I watch? I watched maybe I watched the client. Maybe I watched the client. Did I watch the client? Maybe I watched one of the others. But then I watched The Rainmaker, which is Francis Ford Coppola directing. Uh, is it Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito and Matt Damon? Is it? And you watch them side by side. Uh, yeah, client is Joel Schumacher, and Joel Schumacher wasn't a bad director. He would he, he made Falling Down, he made Flatliners, mm-hmm. he made Lost Boys. You know, he made some he made some good films, but basically. He was the guy that wouldn't say no to Warner Brothers when they said, we want Happy Meals. Mm. And he was a costume designer, wasn't he? So he sort of made that the sort of thing of it. Was he a costume designer? I thought he was a hairdresser. I maybe he was a hairdresser. Um, I thought he'd come from that sort of costume. Terrence Malick was a hairdresser, wasn't he? Was he really? I think so. Um, So Rainmaker is Coppola, and it feels so much like a Coppola film. It's, the acting is so loose, and is um, and it's less of a thriller. That it, well, it's a thriller, but it's less plot based, and it is more character driven. Where you have all of these moments of just um, uh, Danny DeVito doing funny things, and I always remember the making of it where um, uh, Matt Damon had to look tired one day, and he had to look like he had a bad back. So they got a rock and they. Uh, gaffer taped it to his back so that he looked <laughs> physically uncomfortable um, uh, the firm is Sydney Pollock mm. um, oh yeah that's what I watched The Firm I watched The fir- I could not believe my fucking eyes when I watched The Firm with Tom Cruise fucking hell one of the most fucking insane things I've ever fucking seen in a film Tom Cruise is uh, walking around he, where, where does he go he goes to uh, New Orleans I think he gets re- relocated to New Orleans where he's hanging around uh, and um uh, he's, he's just had a meeting with all of his guys, uh, with all of his new bosses and stuff, and then they get, they're walking after their meal down the street, just sort of like hanging out, and uh, there's sort of like uh, this, uh, this black kid on the street who's like this street urchin, right, who's wearing like a, one of them big floppy hats, and he's sort of like dancing for money. Uh, or doing backflips down the street for money, and uh, Tom Cruise sort of is in, in mid conversation, and then he stands side by side with this little kid, and they sort of look at each other, do a nod, and then they run, <laughs> and then they do a backflip competition, uh, and you just like go, what? It's like something. What out- film is this in? It's like it's <laughs> they've like, just switched films. It's like something out of like uh, singing like, in the rain or something. Or like Newsies, <laughs> or like you know, like, it was something that's just like absolute fuck. It's it's like yeah, out of like um, out of like Annie or something yeah. like that. It's just like absolutely crazy. And then Bugsy Malone never mention it ever again. And it's like it doesn't come back. It feels so much as well. Like you can imagine Tom Cruise saying at Sydney Pollock because it does feel like it's a Cruise initiated thing. Like I've got an idea, and they go, I don't think that's gonna fit in. The f- I think it's I think it's cool. I, nice idea, Tom, but I don't think it's gonna work in this film. So it's about the mafia. It's quite a serious. Yeah, film. it's about the sort of mafia and about. Uh, lawyers working for the mafia and things. So this is probably... I mean, I'm sure... Oh, I absolutely believe you can do it, Tom. I'm sure that looks great. I just think maybe in this film, maybe not. But it's up to you, Tom. It's up to you. What do you think, Tom? Do you think this really... We're sick? doing it! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like... Yeah, it's uh, it's like one of them classic insane <laughs> Tom Cruise things where it's like, nobody says no to me! <laughs> when I heard that I got the part in the firm, I did backflips! <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> it was fucking crazy. Right? So it feels also that that's the reason he did the film. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'll do it if I can do the backflips that I can do. And they go, that's not in the script, Tom. Um, backflips! Yeah, and uh, and I want every woman's nipples to get erect when they see me in Jack Reacher! Um, f- okay, Tom, we can do it! <laughs> we'll do it! Okay, ladies, action! <laughs> um... Fucking absolutely incredible! Yeah, and then you get like uh, the Gingerbread Man, which uh, yeah. uh, which was a Robert Altman film. I think the Gingerbread Man was Robert Altman, and that doesn't work at all. And then they kind of like really declined, and like, actually they don't work. And I even think that the Rainmaker was probably towards the end. Yeah, it's funny because it really had a, a, a sort of a life, didn't it? Those John Grisham films. I think Joel Schumacher absolutely smashed smashed it. I don't feel like he was jumping on a bandwagon. I think he was exactly the sort of director to do them. And I think Francis Ford Coppola was jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, maybe. Where yeah. he was kind of like it was towards the end, and he was like going, "Well, these are doing well. I think if I did one of these, I could afford another pool." Yeah, you know. So. Anyway, um, Gary Fledder did Runaway Jury, which uh, that's the Demi Moore one, isn't it? Mm. And Alec Baldwin, that wasn't wasn't very good. Anyway, uh, time to play a song. Uh... We're going to go straight to the gallery. Let's have a look. Good stuff. Lovely uh, stuff. If you've got any uh, fan art, send it in and we'll have a look at it on there. <laughs> in a future episode. In a future episode. Uh, uh, hit that like button and stroke that subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that that's what you do. That's what you do on YouTube, isn't it? What do you do on iTunes or whatever it is, whatever your provider is? Uh, I don't know, comb. But that's it's not comb. a like button, is it? You just subscribe. And then, and then give us a give us a review. We've been joking in the past. Uh, uh, this is what uh, this is what lesser now, po- this is what lesser this is what lesser podcasts would do. They would mm. beg for a uh, please, uh, please, say, please please subscribe, please subscribe, please give us please give us a positive review. We don't give a rat's ass what you do. <laughs> you know, if you if you see it upon yourselves to get yourself over to iTunes and I don't know, give us a five star review. That's that's on so you. It's up to That's you. That's up to you. But I'm not going to ask you to do it. <clears throat> anyway, Primal Fear. Primal me. Fear uh, <laughs> is a really good uh, Richard Gear. And what I really liked about it was uh, the trailer for it used to go Richard Gear, Primal Fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a beer. Because <laughs> um, uh, I saw this film. Uh, I started watching this film. I fell asleep, I have to admit. But it is incredible. And I can't wait to finish it off or just actually rewatch it. Uh, called uh, Delamorte Delamore. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's the. What's he called? Um, Rupert Everett. Rupert Everett. Film, it's incredible. It? It's so weird. It's about that. It's great. Because I saw it at the beginning. I saw it advertised at the beginning of another film that I was watching. And then I was like, instantly had to pause it and go, what's this film? <laughs> Rupert Everett starring as. Uh, he's sort of like a grave digger. He's not a grave digger. He he works at a cemetery, and uh, every seven days the dead rise from the mm-hmm. uh, from the grave, uh, and he's got to brain them. It's based on an Italian comic book, right? Called uh, Dylan Dog, uh, uh, and it was sort of released initially. It was called The Cemetery Man. I yeah, think, that's right. And uh, and it's uh, the Dylan Dog is a massive, absolutely huge comic book in Italy. 
and the artist that created Dylan Dog used Rupert Everett's likeness to make the character. Oh wow! So when they made a, a film of it, they went, "Well, let's get." Let's get Rupert Everett to do it. But then they realised when they were making the film that they didn't quite get the rights to Dylan Dog. So it's basically Dylan Dog, but they've changed all the names and enough about the film that it isn't officially a Dylan Dog adaptation. Oh, wow. Have you ever seen it? Uh, no, I've never seen it. <laughs> you know all of that off yeah. the top of your head? That's incredible. But, um, but I, I, like, I like Dylan Dog. And uh, the, uh, in Dylan Dog, the actual main thing, his sidekick is basically Groucho Marx, and he's called Groucho, but in the comics, he's drawn as Groucho Marx. So his sidekick is just Groucho Marx. It's, it's weird like that. But it's because it's in Italy. There's this weird thing where when they've been reprinted in, the, in America, they have to kind of like white out the moustache because in America, it's like, well, it's just obviously Groucho, Groucho Marx. Marx. And he's called Groucho. Well, and I imagine his likeness is uh, copyrighted. Yeah. So, like, in the comics, it's basically this guy who's, like, a sort of supernatural paranormal investigator whose sidekick is Groucho Marx, who cracks jokes. And That's it's, amazing. It's great. It's sort of a great... Uh, also, his, it's all set in... It's, all, it's an Italian comic that's all set in London, and he has an actual London address, which I think is in, like, Kensington or something. But um, because of that, um, there's a cafe, I think, on that site that loads of Italian people go to try and find Dylan Dog's house. Oh, really? And there's a cafe in London which does it that know it now and apparently they've they've made business cards that if you go there to sort of go, uh, is this Dylan Dog's house? They go, sure. And they give you like a, his like um, business card oh, that's so you can cool. go away and go, oh, I've got Dylan So Dogs. they've embraced it? Yeah, they've really embraced it. Well, unlike the uh, people that live near the Blue House in Notting Hill, yeah. the Blue Door <laughs> in Notting Hill, where they just basically, every time there's a queue, people, they throw piss out the window. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so Delamorte, Delamore, starring Demi Moore <laughs> with the catering done by Del Monte. <laughs> And the soundtrack by Delamitri. <laughs> <laughs> yes! 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 Um, <laughs> and is it is it one spicy meatball? It's a one that's spicy meatball! <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, yeah. Had a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun. Um, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> I can't believe you knew that much about that. I haven't even watched the whole film. No, I'm I really... Because just... I've, 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 I've got Cemetery Man. I bought it. Cemetery Man on DVD and it was just at the time when um, my, I got a new DVD player and I realised when I got it that it was a, a region one and my new player didn't play it and right, I had this yeah. thing and I went oh that was a waste of money <laughs> yeah, right. So, but now I know it's been released on Blu-ray yeah but also if you bought a new if you bought a Blu-ray player there'd be region three DVDs no I think it's I think I've tried it I think I tried it. No, it's but like Blu-ray players play region-free DVDs. Oh, do they? Not region-free, di- not region-free Blu-rays. Hello. But uh, that's something that I worked out. Maybe I'll do. Maybe I'll get myself uh, a Della Mora, a Del Della Della Morte, Della More. The right time, the wrong me. Did <laughs> <laughs> we get Delamitri on? <laughs> uh, Didn't they, weren't Delamitri the ones that did that football song as well for Scotland? Oh, I don't know. Was, I think they did a, a World Cup song for Scotland. And uh, because they sort of they were sort of aware that Scotland probably weren't going to do great in the World Cup, I think their football song was called uh, Don't Come Home Too Soon. <laughs> and it made them into sort of like national hate figures in Scotland. But they're like, yeah, you can't just you can't just do a song about how we're definitely going to be in it. Like, we're absolutely going to get thrown out in the first round. Oh, can you look that song up? Yeah, that's great. Um, brilliant. Um, 
Yes, well, uh, well, uh, do you know, I'll give you a full review when I've when I've finished uh, when I've seen it. To be continued in a future episode of Fan Club. Uh, hit that like, punch that subscribe, <laughs> and um, so uh, what else? Oh yeah, so um, based on Lucy Porter's uh, suggestion, I went to see uh, not her suggestion. She didn't suggest to do it. Uh, coincidentally, Lucy Porter came on and she said her favourite Steve Martin film was All of Me. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I was looking up uh, the BFI this weekend, and All of Me was on at the BFI, and I was just like, do you know what? When Lucy Porter was here, I didn't admit, but at the time when I was growing up in the eighties. It felt like a very grown-up Steve Martin film right. that I never really liked. And um, uh, uh, not that I hated it, but that I was more of a Mamma Two Brains jerk fan um, than I was. And Three Amigos, actually, hmm. which is like, that's basically, it's not necessarily a kid's film, but it's, it's perfect for kids. And uh, all of me never really did it for me. And... Uh, and so I was just so I've probably seen it once thirty years ago, um, and I went to see it at the cinema uh, at the weekend, which I really love the BFI. Yeah, I need to go more often. Really, I think to, I think I should really do what you're doing and look up whatever's showing. It's it's just a nice place to go with uh, friends and loved ones, and uh, it's got a nice bar. It's fucking expensive though. But, I don't um, like that bar, if I'm honest. I find I find the staff rude. <laughs> Oh, do you know what? Um, <laughs> Incredibly rude. I think that you have a case. You have a case there. It depends who you get, obviously, uh, such as life. I've had multiple occasions of terribly rude staff there. Yeah. No, I think that that's, um, uh, that's a fair point. Um, <laughs> but I just, uh, but I think the people behind the counters, uh, the, uh, behind the actual ticket oh, office, yeah, yeah. they're lovely. Lovely guys, lovely guys, uh, great guys. As are the people that work in the shop. But, I mean, the shop is so expensive. Um, I always just take photos and uh, try and find it <laughs> cheaper <laughs> elsewhere. Um, but, um, yeah, I fucking... Anyway, so what I love about the BFI is... All the, I mean, the, so 9 to 5 was on, and I wanted to see 9 to oh, 5. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we didn't get around to seeing 95 and ended up uh, seeing all of me. So I think it was kind of like they'd done, oh, if you like Lily Tomlin in this, then Lily Tomlin's in this as well. Um, all of me is great. Really great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like um, uh, there's moments in it where it's kind of, I mean, it's like Steve Martin going full Robin Williams, where he's kind of doing like a thing where basically it's about a guy, um, he's a lawyer, who is representing this woman that he doesn't get on with and uh, she dies and her spirit goes into his body and so his left side I think is possessed by Lily Tomlin and his right side is Steve Martin and you've got things where he's trying to learn to they're trying to learn to walk together so they're both co-inhabiting Steve Martin's body and he just really goes for it. There's mm. like this scene that's like goes on for ages that is literally filmed outside this office bit block. And it's like a five minute scene where yeah. he's like, and it's got this huge set piece where they filmed it on the street. And it's basically Steve Martin uh, just doing physical comedy. Yeah. But it, when you said, when you gave that description, if that was pitched to Steve Martin, you could imagine him thinking, Oh, I could do so much with this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just as a concept, that's the. This is, here's the plot of the film, and just even before reading a script or anything, or well, uh, but like you would go, that's the, that's the concept of the film. And who you know wrote, you can do. Who wrote all of me? Because it's Carl Reiner. Yeah. So, so it, it, so it, it was, it was is, uh, 1984. 
I tell you the worst thing about watching all of me. It was nineteen eighty. It was filmed in nineteen eighty four. Steve Martin had already done the jerk. He'd already done the man with two brains. Mm -hmm. He'd already done dead men don't wear plaid. Yeah. Uh, he'd already been the biggest stand-up comedian on the planet. Nineteen eighty four. His character in it uh, has his thirty eighth birthday. Right. And you go fucking. Oh yeah, that's right. It's based on. Is it a French film or a short film? Oh. Um, so it's screenplay by Phil Alden Robinson. It's almost like the sort of thing that you would assume that Steve Martin wrote, but he didn't. Um, yeah, he's 38 in it. Wowza. And it makes you feel physically sick. Yeah, I think I get that all the time with things where I go, oh, I guess that's, that's, that's me now. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, God, when Bruce Willis made Die Hard, he was 22 years younger than I was. When I watched it for the first well, time. When, when, when Bruce Willis made Die Hard, he was 22 years younger than you. Yeah. So he was, what, 15? 11. He was 11 yeah. when he was in Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. He looked terrible for his age, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it? There was a, um, Robert Rodriguez always used to, where he said, uh, Steve, uh, Steven Spielberg made Jaws when he was 25, so I want to make my big film by the time I'm 25. I think he made El Mariachi when he was 22. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But it was always like that... that um, uh, it's probably good to have goals, isn't it? Whereas I think I probably yeah, go it, through life slightly uh, with less ambition. We are different beasts, I think. Mm. Nah, I think that's maybe why we get on so well. Mm. As, uh, you, know, we're, we're, you know, we're not. Um, we're just getting on with things, trying to get on with, doing the best we can in a cruel world. Yeah. Well, I just think. Uh, well, one of the things that I think makes the you just um, is not being competitive with people. Mm. I think. I think that, that is the. That is the. That's the pathway to a happy life. Um, when I w when I was starting out doing comedy, I always just tried to keep my head down and just get on with it. Mm. And uh, you know, not like oh, and everyone else was being very competitive, but it is a very competitive. Mm. And I think it's got that's that's become a bigger element of it, isn't it? In in stand up, I feel certainly like in the last few years. Yeah, it feels like, a, and I don't mean to. This feels like a sort of old manny thing, but it feels like there's much more of a no, but of our generation as well. It's very competitive. There's much yeah. The, there's uh, less opportunities, um, more channels and less opportunities. Mm. Although I think that, that we were probably the last generation of people that were a bit more, uh, that we kind of got into it with much more of a, uh, an, like uh, in the best way, in the French meaning of the word, an amateurish way of just trying to do something for yourself. But then I think it Literally, becomes like, yeah, it becomes like now I think it's much more of career focused, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it was getting that way. But I think it was I think it was getting that way towards after we were new acts. Yeah. In my so, mind, I think it's I think it's probably the idea of someone like Russell Brand being in a Hollywood movie and going and everyone in comedy going, oh, he's just doing gigs a couple of years ago with us. And that idea of I think someone who's gone from that to doing being in a Hollywood film sort of shows made people go oh this is like a viable career path to being like a, a I, mega star i don't even think. think it was that i think it was um i think it was at the beginning of the 2000s jack d did uh jack d live, live at the apollo. apollo when he used to host it every mm -hmm. week and then he kind of like i guess i think it's still open mic or it is open mm. so i guess him he's still which is his company <coughs> is it not 
Uh, oh, it's it's oh, is it Jack D's company? I always thought. Oh, it maybe was. it was. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe I'm is. wrong. But I think Jack D. It was Jack D's format or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's certainly a Jack D. Like a vehicle, wasn't it? Like and the Apollo originally. So it's still his thing. It's like Jasper Carrot owning Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yes. And he's like, who's the richest comedian on the planet? Jasper Carrot. He's yeah. <laughs> he owns the rights to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and. Um, uh, so I imagine Jack D still does pretty well out of Five Little Pirate. Um but it's like but when that was the thing it was just like, Oh, we need comedians every week and it started off with kind of like Joe Brand and Omar Jalili and you know, oh these are the household names. Mm. Sean Locke and then it was just kind of like and then it went like whoa, um and I think about mid two thousands then it was just like, Oh yeah, we're all gonna get a shot at this. Yeah. And the um yeah, it was just kind of like I think that at that point there was a huge stand up comedy boom. And that's when it became kind of like Amuse Moose started doing things. And um, uh, what's going on? <laughs> okay. So then there was sort of like, uh, so I started working at Amuse Moose and they started doing courses and uh, I was just putting out chairs and stuff. Uh, and it was like, oh, yeah, you can do a comedy course now. And, oh, yeah, you can uh, do a comedy competition now. And then there were all these comedy competitions. And it was like, if you do this comedy competition, then you can get a gig. And then you do a gig. And then, you do and then it became kind of like, a, oh, my God. And it was like the beginning of something where it's just like, oh, no, because it used to be you do stand-up comedy and then you do club stuff. But now you can be on telly. Mm, yes. And then um, and when we all started, I guess it was just sort of like, mid to late 2000s and then it was like uh, hey it gets us out of the house <laughs> and it was about the same time when people that were more professional that were thinking hey we can actually make a career yeah, out yeah, of yeah. this but I never thought of it as a career no I thought of it as just doing something creative I just thought it was like a nice thing and it was something I could do creative like rather than it was like if I thought to myself oh, I'll go and make a film then it's like well I've got to then co-opt all these other people to help me where a stand-up felt like something I could do that was creative and I wouldn't need anyone to help me with it. Yeah. I'd just do it all by myself. No, absolutely. And that's um, when I made my... When I started boxing again, that's what I made my film about, mm. was, um, was when I started boxing again, it was like I was so shit at it and I was my health was rubbish <laughs> and um, I couldn't, you know, you'd be boxing and um, you couldn't keep your... Uh, hands up keep your mitts up yeah it was fucking it, and you rubbish at it but I felt so good that I was doing it and I loved it and it was just great to be so and it, it reminded me of when I started out doing comedy where it's just like I'm, I don't give a shit if anyone enjoys this but me really this is like uh, and many times that was the case but, <laughs> but do you know what I mean it's just like one of those things where it's kind of like I'm at the beginning of doing something this I think is applicable for anyone out there that's listening that wants to that wants to um, that wants to do something and is put off by what other people might think of them I think if you um, something positive and creative guys not <laughs> not hate crimes but um, <laughs> I really want to do this thing but I'm worried what everyone will think of me go ahead and do it guys um, um, nine dead um, so uh, I just think that um, I think that if you uh, if you want to do it if you want to do it and uh, and it makes you happy then, then go along and do it in the words of Cheryl Crow if it makes you happy then it can't be that bad. Depends what it is, Cheryl. Yeah, it does. But, uh, yeah. Every day's a winding road. <laughs> Not if you're a Roman. Um, so, um, <laughs> then it's like... That's pretty good. That's pretty good. good. That's an oldie, but a great one. An oldie, um, but a goodie. An oldie, but an excellent one. 
And <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think if you want to go off and do something, do something. Whether it be uh, stand-up comedy or whether it be uh, uh, boxing or whether it be going to the swimming pool and uh, taking your t-shirt off and getting in a swimming pool in front of everyone. Don't let other people. Uh, stand in the way of you living your life uh, and, I, m- and one of the things that I used to say to myself and I still do and I think it's a, it's a good analogy is uh, if you spend all your time looking over the fence to see what everyone else's gardens are getting up to then, then you're Tim Allen's neighbour <laughs> mate it's going to be a beautiful moment <laughs> but the, then you're going to be Wilson <laughs> but that is that is almost actually that, no, that could right. be that could be a thing. Right. if you're going to spend all your time looking over the fence and seeing what everyone else's garden's up to then you're going to let your own lawn overgrow lovely stuff so you know uh, and it's good mental health stuff to just sort of like concentrate on on, on you and not worry about what everyone else is up to oh it's been a rough year so, <laughs> <laughs> so keep it light um john kearns is back <laughs> i love it um so we're gonna play a song now have we got what everyone wanted everything that we wanted to out of that oh yeah all of me really great film and it's got some absolutely amazing kind of classic man with two brains uh the jerk style humor uh, right in the opening credits which i just wasn't expecting but then it doesn't it doesn't really hold through for the rest of the film. It's kind of like it is a slightly. It's a more. It's a more sort of seriousy thing in general. It's, it's a that? more mature film. Yes. In general, it's less sort of like uh, scattergun. It's it's is more that of what a, you call it scattergun. When, yeah, I guess it's more of a sort of bridge to some of his later projects. It is, but um, but even like the weirder kind of Steve Martin-y stuff that he, he gets away with in L.A. Story, mm-hmm. um, like with the talking signposts and stuff like that. It's kind of like. It, it almost that feels completely of its own thing. Like in LA Story, it feels like a complete, a complete film. Where with all of me, there are moments like that, and then there are moments where it's kind of like not like that at all, and mm-hmm. he's actually playing it straight. And it's kind of so it's kind of like a a bit of a weird mishmash where I guess him and Carl mm-hmm. Reiner are both sort of like finding their yeah. It's like a it's like a bridge, a, a bridging a, a, thing. A bridging to film. What they're gonna do next? Lily Tomlin's really great in it as well. Terrific. Um, okay, gonna play a song. This is your song. Is that right? Yeah, let's do it. They ask me by. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. I did, the, I did the long one by accident. I should have done this one. Nick and Nat's fan club on Fubar Radio. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun. What a lot of fun. Jim Croce. That was, if, you, if you're interested, uh, that was Jim Croce. What's the name of the song? Um, I have a name. Yeah, I know, Before but I we're talking about Jim Croce right yes. now. Yes. In there. <laughs> uh, we're joined in the studio now by Rob Deering. Hey, me. How you doing? <laughs> all right. Yeah. I was thinking then when we were talking about all of me and Steve Martin films, I thought, well, I bet Rob Deering loves all of me. And oh, I love me. That's great. I've been, in fact, I haven't seen it for years. I was just thinking I must show it to the kids. Yeah. It's got one of, uh, it's got one of the most joyous uh, end credit sequences where it made me so happy that uh, I, I didn't quite cry, but I, and I am quite an emotional man, especially lately. But <laughs> keep it light. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was such a, it's a beautiful ending. 
I've got to watch it. I don't remember the ending, but I don't want no, you to I tell can't me. Think, no, I can't think of rediscover it. It's just the end credits bit, and you just like go, this is lovely. Just I just think of the guy, the, the shaman guy who doesn't know what the phone is, and when it rings, he just sings along with it. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is... Um, racist? No, well, I don't, I'm not sure if it's racist, but it was annoying. I think that I think that you're expecting it to suddenly go. Oh no! This is one of them shameful things that happened in the '80s that you can't enjoy anymore. But um, but I don't think it. I I think it just about gets away with it not being a racial stereotype because he is. It's like, too weird. It's it is too weird, and he's a shame. But the thing about the he doesn't understand about the phone ringing. Yeah, it just you just go answer the fucking phone, mate. That's that, that's that's how you feel when that you is a shame. Amazing stuff. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Yes. Very rare yes. that we meet our match <laughs> in the studio. Uh, most people just let it wash over them, but uh, you've, oh, yeah. you've, you've, oh, you've dived into the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what are you going to say, Nat? I, th- I, was, I was literally going to say, how are you, Rob? I'm good, thanks. Or rather, I'm well. I'm good. It's a very modern Americanism, isn't it? I'm very well, thanks for asking. Do you like this time of year? You mean... Uh, the Whatever no- time of year you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, this is a very <laughs> special moment because we're in the pre-Christmas moment. Oh, yeah. You know, when in the world of comedy, gigs are getting exciting without getting rubbish. You know, you can think about Christmas or not. And also, it's my, it's my birthday. What? Today? No, the end of November. Oh. But it's know. soon. Soon. You should probably uh, give yourself a shout-out. <laughs> what, uh, is that what, the form that what's, takes? What's the date? <laughs> what date? November the twenty eighth. November the twenty eighth. November the twenty eighth. Remember, remember. November the twenty eighth of November. Here's <laughs> <laughs> okay, a quick question: Are you cold? I'm a bit cold. Yeah, was it because I'm trying to put your coat back on? No, I'm fine. Thanks. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Is I think it... it's quite warm in here. But when I went next door to find you, uh, you were wearing a big. I got quite coat. cold today. I'm I'm all right now. Yes. This arm across my chest is held there because there's no armrest, and if I don't sit like that, I sit like that. I find that a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do both. I do it all. This I feel a bit like David Blaine. This is a weird chair. It's a bit like being on top of a post. You know, in the old days, some <laughs> people just used to live on a flagpole all summer, and because there was no internet, Americans would go, "Look, he's." on a flagpole all summer long I feel like that guy <laughs> I feel because I lean and then I put my feet up on here and I feel very relaxed like uh, Howard um, Howard um, Howard um, Stern no I'm alright actually um, <laughs> quite a friendly face you know yes. you said when you said I lean and put my feet up and, and I put my feet up here I thought well you put your feet up there but who's Eileen yeah, <laughs> come on come on Eileen uh, <laughs> I beg your pardon? I have issues with that song. <laughs> um, so does Eileen. <laughs> oh, 2018. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so what, we, what, what have you been up to? What have you done recently? Ah, well, this weekend I performed at uh, London's Hammersmith Apollo. Oh, lovely. For um, Raw with Laughter, the ZSL, the uh, oh, Animals Channel. That's a great gig. Lovely gig. Yeah. It was on, and it's lovely to play the Apollo. Obviously, it's nice to play the Apollo because it's big, but it's also, you know, I saw the Flaming Lips in there. It was like the gig of my life. And right, yeah. I saw Motley Crue there. It was. There you go. He knows. I don't remember it. But, uh, <laughs> that's how good it was. It was. I think the Apollo is a brilliant place to the, watch. That's things. the first place I saw Alice Cooper. The Apollo, but it wasn't called. What was it? What used to Odeon be in the old days. Hammersmith Odeon. Odeon. Maybe that's when in yeah. two thousand. But that was two thousand one. Maybe it was the Apollo then. I don't. It know. was at one point. It was the, the Labatt's Apollo, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> oh, it's the Eventim Apollo now. Eventim, Eventim now. Yeah. I, it was the Brutal Planet tour, and uh, it was the. Uh, yeah. 
I couldn't believe that I was actually there. When I saw the Flaming Lips in there, I kind of wasn't too bothered to go because my brother had got the tickets. I liked them, but I wasn't a fan. What year was this? Oh, good question. Probably about 10 years, a good 10 years ago, maybe longer. Yeah. And, um, and I was ill. I had a really bad cold. The kind that we would at the very least call a flu. It may have even actually been the flu. Mm-hmm. And I, but I didn't want to blow my brother out because it was a present. Mm. So I kind of limped over to Hammersmith. Did you have your jacket on there? It was like today, exactly. Yeah. I was wrapped up warm. And then it was just such a good gig. Yeah. And then when I saw them again, that was at Brixton Academy, I, uh, I thought, well, this won't be as good because I had such low expectations last time and they were just as good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. I have not issues with the Flaming Lips, but there's that Do You Realise song, which mm. um, just, uh, if, if you listen to that when you're not completely uh, braced for it. It's not ideal, is it's it? It's just such mm. a fucking bleak song. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I find that so, yeah. I, oh, yeah, it's like the, your response, you know, to, to they say, you know, do you realise that everyone you know would die? It's like, yes, of course I do. You didn't have to point it out. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to point it out and use it on a Transformers 6 trailer. That's what they <laughs> yeah. do. And you just like go, what? Is it six or five? But it's just like, it's. Well, let's clarify because that's the important feature of this yeah. story. But it's just like. <laughs> it's also big, important that the trailer is the only bit I see a Transformers movies. Yeah. <laughs> they do like one of their Marks and Spencer's kind of. Uh, uh, John Lewis ad. John Lewis ad versions of Do You. Do you re- it's not called mm. Do You Realise, is it? It's I think it is. Do I think realize, it is. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, and then they use it in the Transformers six effort, and you go, oh, I mean, come on, <laughs> don't I mean? But but I like you see, I like a bit of nihilist hippydom. I like that that kind of you know, it's like John Lennon's. I don't like it. I think it's an absolutely incredible song. But what it does is, if you're listening, you're not always in the mood. You're not going to be ready for that to contemplate your own mortality. Do you know what I mean? No, I wasn't today. Is a prime example. Yeah. I, you kind of sometimes just want a kind of... Which is why I used to like the polyphonic spree. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, did you ever listen yeah, to Yeah, them? because then I'm just thinking, what are they all doing? Absolutely I really wanted to know what the, dis, what the distribution of labour was in the polyphonic sure. spree. Because there's like 50 of them, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, and when you hear the record, you're thinking, I think you could have done that with eight. I'm mm. confident that let's... You know, it's... There was some footage of the polyphonic spree on the London Underground uh, mm. busking. And they basically took up the entire ticket I think area. It's, I think it's their sort of outlaw or the look of them, plus the, the fact they've got spree in their name, yeah. makes me think of like the Manson family or something. Or yeah. the Ooh. Jonestown Massacre. Yeah. yeah. I mean, plus, I don't think they killed anyone. They only fair. had that one tune as well. They mm. only had that one tune. What, Soldier Girl? Yeah. Uh, what's the other one, though? Exactly. <laughs> there, 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 was, the there was two. There was uh, no, no soldier. But then, uh, and I used to love Soldier Girl. It's good to it over and over again. It's got three fucking lyrics in it. Yeah, he goes, "I found my soldier girl. She's so far, far away. away. She's so far away. She makes my head spin around." I found my no, soul. Enough, it's not enough, is it? And you go, you've got, you've got, a, you've got half a chorus, and what? then you repeat it for five minutes, yes. and you've got three different versions of that song. It's fucking crazy. Twenty-two members, twenty-two members. Yeah, so. what you want is four or five people, and a whole, and you know, a couple of dozen uh, songs. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my band. not half a chorus that goes on forever. <laughs> and also, it was like they were a bit like the opposite of uh, Andrew W. K. What's his, that? Was it his name, Andrew W. K.? Mm-hmm. Where like. Uh, so all of the Polyphonic Spree's album titles were something like uh, Having the Day, A Lovely Day, Singing the Day Away, 
here's the day. You know, and it was just like they all had like like this, like either the, the, the sun or day in all of the titles. It's, of it that. sounds like the theme from Sesame Street. Whereas in um, Andrew WKD, uh, all, of, <laughs> all of his songs have the word party in yeah, the title. Party till you puke. Uh, there are others. Party, party hard. It, mm. When it's time to party, we shall party hard. Oh, that's such a fucking amazing song. That I really do like Andrew WK as well. What, what era of the Flaming Lips was it when you saw them at Hammersmith? What were, what were their I current albums? They were doing. So did they sing that song? Yes, they did. They were doing the big tour that they've been doing for a long time. So, I mean, the, the, it wasn't a specific album, and the, the big albums were a little while before, but they okay. were still leaning on them. So the big ones are Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots and the Soft, Soft Bulletin. Bulletin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that, that race for the prize is an amazing song. And they do... The, oh, they open with that. And it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act, isn't it? They, they get it exactly right, because they're proper psychedelic all over the place, mm-hmm. and yet they're really committed, and the sound mix is perfect, and yeah. they still come together for verses and choruses, and they've isn't, got songs. Isn't their first album called This Is What Happens When the punks start taking acid or something and I think there's that sort of thing where you go oh what a lovely sort of it's like you've written your own review (laughs) (laughs) talking of writing your own review did you hear about this woman who was publishing a book and it was she's a PR expert and it was like how to build your brand and it was sent to the shops with this woman Roxy something never fails to uh, to disappoint (laughs) was read on the cover they had to send them all back and pulp them that's not great growing your brand that's uh, that's 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 exactly wrong that really happened yeah that happened she's an expert yeah and she wrote and all the proofreaders it's supposed to say never fails to impress and somebody just (laughs) never fails to disappoint and this is in this band this week isn't there or last week that have uh that booked themselves into massive venues and have bought their own Twitter followers and YouTube followers. And so they've managed to book themselves like a massive tour across Europe. But, and it's something like Live Nation has completely funded this massive tour for them. But like no one's turned up to any of the gigs because they have just made up their own they have just bought all their followers and things. sooner or later that's going to happen isn't yeah. it? i mean you can't that happened before he was kind of ironically but, famous and doing adverts and panto that happened to david hasshoff when he was because like, he was always famous right it was a yeah. big big star big star in germany that's the whole thing you mm-hmm. know before the berlin wall and everything and he booked a european tour which was selling well you know in paris stockholm berlin etc so not really thinking about it thinking europe he had himself booked into the nec in birmingham and they sold seven tickets. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, that happened in real life. Well, seven as far as tickets. I know, seven. <laughs> wow. I just love the idea of them going and doing that show. It and there were like seven people together about 300 yards. That's like the back. free fringe, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. If there's seven of them, yeah, I'll do seven. Yeah, that's fine. I'm outnumbered. Why not? It's fine. Like as long as there's more people in the audience on stage, it's fine. Do you know what, though? If you knew that morning that there was only seven tickets sold, you would book one, wouldn't you? You'd be eight. You'd go, oh, I'll be eight to see... Uh, to watch David Hasselhoff with seven if other people. If you were David Hasselhoff? No, no. If or you, you wore like a beard <laughs> and sunglasses. And no, sat, but almost like, I'd quite, like to, I'd quite like to sit in the uh, NEC with seven other people Imagine, watching yeah, David they're, Hasselhoff. They're not all sat together. They're spread out. Of course <laughs> they are. It's a 10,000-seat arena. Or there's just a massive curtain off that just keeps like creeping up right up to I, I've like, done. I did a gig like that. I did a huge room with 15 people in it once. It must have held 3,000 and everyone was off to one side. It's like, why can't we do this in that bar, please? Mm. Yeah, I did it once in a theatre that had about fifteen people in, and they were all spread out, and it felt like, oh 
Go on. Oh, spread Go out is nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did three nights in a theatre that was, wasn't that big, but it was like 500 seater. And they hadn't, it was like it was a secret. And it was like the town it was in was dead. It was a Christmas special. They hadn't put it in the programme. They hadn't plugged it anywhere. And the town, and everyone had left town and it was cold. <laughs> and uh, three nights, same bill. Three, three of us went up there every night for three nights. And uh, there were 60 people each night. And twice, they kind of all huddled together. And we just about got a gig going. But then on the third night, they were just dotted around basically 30 couples. 30 disappointed couples. <laughs> 30 individual disappointed gigs to two people <laughs> in one go. What night was that? Christmas time. But would it be like a, what, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? It was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Oh. Yeah. But then that's not so bad. If you're disappointed by that, you go, that's something that we remember. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You remember that? Oh, do you remember that gig we went to? It was great. On a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Didn't ruin a Friday. Didn't ruin a Saturday. No, no. Grow up. Pam, what was your least favourite Christmas? Well. (laughs) (laughs) It all started in Northampton. Whereabouts are you from, Rob? Are you a London person, born and bred? Well, yes, um, I'm West London, born and bred, although I, when I was 13, we moved out to the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereabouts in the country? Uh, Oxfordshire. Oxfordshire. And where were you in West London? Heston. Heston. Close enough to, right under the flight path, close enough to Heathrow to qualify for the free double glazing. Oh, lovely yeah. stuff. I was in Kew Gardens recently, and it was really nice. It was like the old days, not the plants, just the planes coming in. <laughs> when did you do your first Edinburgh? Uh, my f- the first time I went to Edinburgh in any capacity was in 1992. But my first Edinburgh as a comedian was in 2001. When did you do Charmageddon? Charmageddon, I think 2007. Right. I think. I remember all the posters for that. In a good way. Yeah. Very irritating yeah. you now to this day. <laughs> no. Yeah, Lo- Looney Tune spoof, wasn't it, Charmageddon? Yeah, I yeah. remember. Yeah, I like um, apparently, guitarist Richie Blackmore of rock bands Deep Purple and Rainbow grew up in Heston. Ah. Is that something you're aware of? I don't think I was aware of that. It's not that much um, rock history action happening in West London. The Who are from Acton. Oh, are they? And so's Derek B. <laughs> I like it when people know every. It's small enough that you do know everyone. Yeah, you have yeah. got the full Wikipedia of <laughs> any notable people that from yeah, from a place. <laughs> I just remembered what I was going to say. Great. From when? From, a bit From ages. He wasn't listening to us. I was talking to my friend, and we were talking about um, uh, Edward Scissorhands, the the ballet. Yeah, uh, that was on at Sadler's. Matthew Bourne's Edward yeah. Scissorhands. Yeah. And I thought it was awful. Yeah. And, um, I, I thought it was great. I can't remember much about it, but I remember, uh, I remember thinking, um, you've got Danny Elfman's music, and you've got Tim Burton's visuals, and you've kind of f- fucked it all up, where it looks like a cartoon, and there's no real weight or substance to it, and you've played it too light, and um, and I just was annoyed by the whole production. Um, and my friend, but I don't remember much about it other than the fact that I didn't like it. Yeah. And my friend went to see it. She, her friend bought tickets to see it. Were they cheap? No, I don't think so. It's a yeah. shame because we got some cheap tickets. They were a snip. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Scissor, scissor hands. Scissor hands. <laughs> Carry on. Scissor friend hands. got the tickets. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll continue. 
and uh, my friend got the tickets and uh, no her friend got the tickets uh, and they were like uh, you know expensive tickets and uh, good seats in the stalls like third row from the front uh, and because it was around about Christmas time I guess they thought that uh, they'd be able to get a taxi really easy um, <laughs> and they uh, left it too late and then couldn't flag down a taxi and then ended up uh, getting there after the start and they weren't allowed in for the first half so they missed half of it and they ended up uh, drinking in the bar and then they saw the second half and they got to see everyone's feet really close up but um and it was just uh, you know it was a bit of a story and you go oh right well the thing is i went to see it and i saw the whole thing and i don't remember anything about it other than the fact that i didn't enjoy it and you went to see it and you only saw half of it and oh they had like this big conversation with all the staff that worked there and you know while they were waiting to go in and it's like and they didn't get to see it but she's got like a, a memorable anecdote out of it and sometimes it's when things don't go as well that you end up getting yeah. something more out of it. And even though, you know, me and my wife, we liked it a lot, but still, our story isn't as good, as it? It doesn't have to be even that you didn't enjoy it. Even mm. if you did enjoy it, it's not as good a story, is it? Although, me and my wife went to see Turin Dot when she was uh, um, very pregnant. She was like, it was her birthday, so she was eight months pregnant mm -hmm. with our first baby. And uh, I said, listen, it might not be comfy, you might not want to do this, you know, we just go and see. And we went and watched the first half of this opera and the seats were bad because they were the yeah, ones yeah. I could afford. And she was like, I'm not really comfortable. And I was like, neither am I, because it's not to do with being pregnant, these are terrible seats. Mm. <laughs> and, then, and then, so we went to leave and, uh, and we were hanging around in the interval waiting for everyone to go back in so we didn't look like we were walking out. And, uh, and basically the venue staff tuned in. We said, we might sit on this bonquette and have a drink and watch it on the telly. Bonquette. <laughs> I just said that like it was like that wouldn't be worthy of <laughs> and, they, and they said oh come with us and they didn't say what they were doing we just followed them through this building down an escalator to the one with the radio and through here up there up this and then she opened the door and they put us in a box what a lovely thing yeah and we were right that. there. There was blooming Turandot just standing right next to us, going, and, and before the interval, she was half a mile. Away. I do have a like. I mean, uh, the Sadler's Wells Edward Scissorhands does sound it, like it should be brilliant. It sounds like a perfect medium to kind of put it in, right? Having yep. a sort of ballet, and you think of Red Shoes and Tales of Hoffman and all that stuff being an influence on. Yeah, it wasn't that, that, and it feels like it should be. It should work perfectly. It, but I do have a problem with a lot of things when you see things at places like you try and see something like the opera or you go see something at the theatre, is that one of the things I find now is we're so used to seeing things in cinemas with sort of reclining seats. I always find that thing in theatres where it's like, this is extraordinary that I'm not even that tall, but my knees are like two inches into the seat in front of me. Yeah, it's like when you go to... It's so lovely, the idea of going to the Globe Theatre and being a groundling, but standing still... Uh, it just it's just physically painful yes. I saw Mark Rylance in Hamlet and was looking up and he was brilliant and it was great and obviously everyone's really quiet because he's got the attention of the whole place and I'm just thinking I'm going to shout out because my neck hurts so much <laughs> I'm going to go ah oh, sorry Mark because just standing there like that it's, it's like someone's stabbing me in the back of the neck I yeah. hate it I really hate these it these are first world problems aren't they? Oh, I, I, I hate I hate uh, I hate going to the theatre I love 
the idea of going you to love the having been to the theatre as well and I love the memory of the plays mm. and stuff like that and I used to write theatre but I realised that I prefer to be on that side of it yeah because you know, uh, just when you sit down in the middle of an art and I, know, I don't really get this in the cinema sometimes I panic a little bit at the cinema mm. but just the thought that I might need a piss at some point oh, yeah. during a live performance is just like oh god and then when, as you sit in the middle of the aisle and everyone else sits well in, that's your first mistake you should probably sit in one of the seats yeah but you're not always <laughs> in charge of oh wow amazing <laughs> <laughs> but you know but as you sit in the middle of uh, in the middle of the row of seats right, <laughs> on your fucking seat <laughs> and the rest of the but as each audience member comes in and sits next to you and blocks you in they're like each audience member is like a nail in your coffin as you become more and more oh, yeah. claustrophobic and uh, you just realize that you're really all the way through the play now on the verge of having a panic attack. Yes. And, and like, never before if you needed a piss. It's just sort of like, all of a sudden, as soon as the play starts, you go, I think I need a piss. And yeah. the more I think about needing a piss, the more it's actually becoming a thing. Also, I think that's one of those things that when you're in that position of needing to squeeze past someone to go to the loo or something, it's like you feel awful. Dick but if someone did it Dick to you, if, someone, yeah. if you were in that person having to move for someone, you wouldn't give it a thought. You might. You just, you wouldn't go, you'd just go, of course. Of course, just it's yeah. that thing you often see in that I quite like seeing at stand-up gigs now, where it's that thing where like uh, someone someone moves to go to the loo, and traditionally it would have been a thing where an MC might have leapt on them or for for just doing something normal. And it's whereas actually I quite like seeing it now when someone almost does a thing where they're sort of apologetic or look like they're about to get taken apart. Someone goes, "Well, of course, go to." The loo. I mean, yeah, and also I always, go to the loo. I'm always need, aware of time. To go to the loo. If that's like a really <laughs> yeah. long half or yeah. section in a show, and someone goes, it's like you kind of go to give them a hard time. You think, wait a minute, it's been like an hour and a quarter yeah. since last. Of course, it's totally reasonable. I don't have a problem with people going for a piss. No, people, why go, would you? people go, oh, I can't go for a piss. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. And you go, I don't mind you going for a piss. What I mind is if you like make a big thing about it yeah. and you stamp down the stairs yeah. and you do, you know, you can tell, you can tell when people are exhibiting yes, attention-seeking yes, yeah. behaviours. But some, some people just, uh, just you know, and it's that thing where the person on stage probably isn't drinking, where it's likely that you're sat there with a, a pint or something in the audience, and it probably will be a thing but where you might need... Uh, I think when it comes down to it, it's all about the fact that there's people there, because what you want, uh, anything, like whether you're watching a ballet or a film or a stand-up gig, for to really enjoy it, you need to sort of forget you exist. Yeah, exactly. And and everything that works against that. So cinema's great, because not only is it really dark and really comfy, but the people in the film do not care yeah. what you do, because they've already filmed it, right? They're not there. So there's no... You can't disturb them. So actually, you don't need to go for a piss. But if you did, no one would particularly yeah. mind. Whereas to get achieve that in any mm. kind of theatre situation, and then it gets exacerbated by how comfy you are, if, you, if you're brightly lit... It, uh, whatever else can mm. happen if you do anything you know the fact you actually have, have to sit still to not be seen yeah and then you know when we go to those gigs and it's all brightly lit and you can see everyone yes they're not having a good time exactly I think you just want everyone to have a nice time and part of having a nice time is them feeling that they can go to the loo if they need to yeah. <laughs> rather than being I think that's the only part that makes me think I want them to have a nice time <laughs> that they're free to go to the toilet when they want. I like them brightly lit. I like to see how uncomfortable they are. Uh, I like them to feel like they've yeah. uh, been through something that they didn't necessarily <laughs> sign up for. Hey, you yeah. know, me and you, a long time ago, did a gig in a lovely posh theatre. Was it in Lincoln? Yeah, it was in Lincoln. I've never done a gig in Lincoln. When my since. parents, uh, my, me and my parents came up, and uh, they get to, they got to meet you afterwards. And it was a big, no, it was a big treat. Was it you absolutely fucking smashed that. Oh, well, you're very kind. No, it wasn't. No, I was thinking about. I went not to kind. It. It's a scientific fact. You did. You, you, I mean, you smashed it, and you regularly smash it. 
Uh, yeah, it was nice playing a big gig the other day, you see, because I don't get to, you know, I don't, I have to do, I have to do a charity gig. That to get zoo the gig is fucking lovely. Yeah, oh, it's, it's I did that zoo gig a week after, I told mm-hmm. you this the other week, a week after I did Live at the Apollo, which went badly. Um, you can't tell. It was a great performance. One of the best performances of my life. I look like I'm enjoying it. Right? Uh, but a week later, I did the zoo gig, and it was just absolutely lovely. Yeah. And you go, fucking hell. Did you go on haunted by the... So, well, yeah, yeah I, well, I, but I'm glad that I did yes, it, yeah, because literally, it's like Brian, uh, Brian Damage uh, once said to me, he said, um, never, uh, never be scared of a room. Like a yes. physical room. Yes. Yeah. And you go, yeah, so I'm glad that uh, the week after that I did it again. Yes. But I was disappointed that why couldn't I have had a tough time at the charity gig? Well, what, what, <laughs> what was the difference? What's the difference? Uh, well, I think... Um, I think... Hmm. Is it that it's, it's a sort of artificial atmosphere anyway if it's been recorded for TV? I think there is that. I think that there is a different audience. Uh, it's the same venue, but it's a very different crowd. Yeah, and I guess everyone's got him for free there, haven't they? And they could yes. be like seeing anything, yes. but they're going uh, to see. Yeah, yeah. I was on right at the end of the night, and so I think I was on about ten thirty. Did they record like two shows and record two back. shows? Yeah. We started at seven. Uh, and I think, yeah. I mean, I've got into trouble talking about this in a podcast <laughs> before, so I probably want to avoid okay. it a bit. Okay. But, um, but I think with the with the charity gig the next week, it's just like everyone's really up for it. It's kind of, my attitude towards charity gigs is always just sort of like um, it's it, it's kind of a construct in order to get you to give money to a charity, isn't it? You're not actually. It's like you're not actually paying for. Um, uh, a good night out, are you? Well, yeah, I, but I think it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because mm. you don't want to just completely forget you're there for a charity. But equally, if you push the charity thing too much, no one's going to have any fun. Mm. So you need to do enough charity that everyone thinks, I've been a good person. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, it's reward. It's activity yeah, yeah, yeah. reward. Absolutely. absolutely. But it's like buying a big issue. And then occasionally you'll get like some absolutely amazing articles in it and you yeah. read them and you go, that's great. But no, so... Yeah. But instance. my attitude is just like, if you're going to turn up and you're going to be pissed off and you're going to have an attitude, uh, well, I, my attitude towards the live, at the, uh, to live at the Apollo is kind of like, you're getting a free night of comedy. You're not even paying, it's not even a charity gig. Yeah. In fact, I said that on stage. <laughs> I said, why don't you treat this like it's a charity gig? And then I carried on with my act. <laughs> it was like it was. Didn't, it was I just stopped. And I said, Why don't you treat this like it's a charity gig? And then, um, but it was yeah. It was I suppose the zoo gig though. If you're at the Apollo anyway, you're probably quite excited to be there, and you want to have a nice gig because it's in a big room, and yeah. you want to have that experience. I think of the audience there. really wanted to be kind of like, oh, this, it's it's a, it's a lovely occasion. Uh, but also, you're filming a TV show when you're the, when you're doing like the Yeah. But when you're doing the zoo gig, it's kind of like the audience are just like, oh, we've get, they're feeling good in their hearts. They've yeah. they've mm. given something to charity now, and obviously you want to do a good gig. But I think the pressure's off you slightly. You don't feel the same amount. It's of the pressure. best of both worlds, isn't it? Because mm. yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of like a night off for everyone. But equally, it's got a, it's a big venue. It's got a rep as being a proper comedy gig with with yeah. comedians who are going to give you a good show. And so everyone's got the both sides of it. Like it doesn't matter if mm. we've given the money. The charity the hard is already out a win. Of the way. Yeah. It's done. Mm. And yeah, everyone's like. 
like you know they're not it's not all super animal fans it's people who want to see yeah. you know mm -hmm. uh, people doing comedy and uh, and then the venue's good they say ultimately people do this is a different issue but in comedy people worry about big rooms or rooms full of people but a nice room with the right number of people in it is always good whether it's a 30 seater or a 10,000 mm. seater if it's a good space with mm. people in it you can have a good time yeah. yeah I think there is that weird thing isn't it where you've done you, know, you can done, have a terrible time oh yeah and I've done previews to you know three people and you go oh. but it's that sort of thing I feel, like, feel like Hasselhoff now but, <laughs> finally <laughs> I've been looking for freedom yeah. I shouldn't have booked the Bone NEC to be fair <laughs> for a pre I mean it was a mistake in hindsight but, um, in March <laughs> only got 20 minutes of this but like but it is but I've done it and had like a really nice time when people are just there they've gone oh, I've come out you know I don't want to go home I've come out to see this and I'm sort of invested enough to watch this for an hour and and it's that sort of thing you go, oh, I've actually had quite a nice, that's quite nice. I love, I love previews and I love work in progresses because you kind of like go, it, say, it, says, it says it on, the, you know, you don't, obviously don't charge that much anyway. Um, but then also it's kind of like, I think that we should, we all go into it with the agreement that something tonight might be amazing. But I do treat like previews as previews, as works in progress. Mm. You know, I often don't have uh, a complete show until I get to Edinburgh. Yeah, because that's healthy, but I'm I'm not good at that. I want no, to pre present it's everything as a photo complete. Survival instincts as a performer is just that um, you can't go on stage and fail, and you I think you put a lot of pressure on yourself to. And I've done gigs like that where I've had uh, a load of really great previews, but I haven't got a show. Mm. because I've played the room and I've tried to make everyone in the room like me and go, uh, I'm going to do a good job for you. But it works in that room and that room alone. And then by the end mm. of my previous seasons, I'm still kind of writing. I think that happened in 2013 where it was an impossible show to preview, but I had all these previews booked in. And then by the time I got up to Edinburgh, I basically had to write it while I, while, while I was up there. Well, I had like five songs, but I couldn't... Every time I previewed the songs, people would, comedians would come up to me and go, how, how did that feel? Yeah, where, where you'd go like, well, like obviously, I, I, yeah, I, it was awful. Like, but these are the songs that I've written, and they, they will work. But it's going to take the fact that I'm up in Edinburgh <laughs> and I've got costume changes, and I've got like the lighting and the set, and it's it's a sh I'm I'm doing a show, and you're you're making me preview this sort of like song and dance. Sh thing in like in like this in, in a venue that isn't appropriate it's just weird i think but sometimes um, as well i i tend to have quite good previews and i wonder if that's because you are weirdly putting so much more into it because you're so you're so desperate for it to work that you're actually doing something more than you're actually doing when you think it's finished so yeah, i often yeah. think that when at the point where i think i'm like well these have all been going well i think this is good and then when you start sort of relaxing and going like letting it sort of speak for itself that's the point where i go this isn't very good <laughs> yeah i was selling it <laughs> i was, I was selling really selling it. this hard yeah as it, in a preview and then it, when you actually leave it to it it's not actually absolutely but i think that that's that's the case isn't it i mean i've some of my i did um so i filmed i think maybe it maybe we've mentioned it but we were filming uncle and then it got extended for a week so we went from oh, oh yeah 
we went from doing six weeks of Uncle to seven weeks of Uncle. Uh, I had a Christmas gig booked in for a fortnight at Soho Theatre, which started... So we finished Uncle eventually on the Friday and we started on the Monday. Mm. So I had to write this show over the weekend, had to recover from seven weeks of filming and then start this show. And fucking hell, didn't have a show on the Monday, but somehow got through it because it was like, I have to. Yeah. And then by the Wednesday, there was actually a show where you just... Uh, but... I've looked at the material since, and and the show went fine, and the sh- and the show went really well, but um, eventually, after like half a week of it not being great at all, but I was selling the absolute fuck out of all of the material, and I don't think I've ever worked so hard on stage. Mm. Whereas you're like going, if I don't, if I don't do all of the work here that the material isn't doing then I'm fucked mm. you know it was just sort of like it was really so that's what leads to a good show is it's, it's a corollary with what you were saying about having our second rate theatrical experience can lead to a good story that ultimately be, having a joke that you know can work but it's only yes. given to you 60-70% is making you do a fantastic performance yeah Maybe. So, so my new material should be second rate <laughs> yes <laughs> well I think that there's always a thing where um, uh, I don't know I th- I think that it's like a perfect storm, isn't it? Of the, it might not be the best joke on paper, but the way that you, uh, the way that you sell it, and the way that you know, Helm and Taylor used to be our joke graveyard, where every time a joke didn't work, we'd, we'd do it in our double act, and um, and and it wouldn't work when we did it solo. You know, when I just did a joke on my own and I did it, it wouldn't work. So I put it into Helmut Taylor because neither of us gave a shit about Helmut Taylor. And when we did, and because we didn't give a shit about it, and we just fucked around on stage, it turned out that everything always worked. Yeah, you know, um, and 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 that's kind of the thing. It's kind of like you go, it's a perfect storm. It doesn't necessarily. It's not that. It's like it's it's like. It, um, uh, Carlo Simonetti's uh, Goblin <laughs> doing 50% of the work of uh, Suspiria and Dario Argento where it's kind of like you do have the material but then you also have the performance and they can kind of either you, either you let the material speak for itself or your performance kind of sells it but it's but kind also of like another it's a thing that thing about not caring is really key as well like I, I, I was in two bands at school and one of them was like my dream and that was what I was going to be when I grew up was this singer songwriter with his three piece and I'd do these amazing meaningful incredibly serious miserable songs and I was also in another band I was a drummer um, but I'm musical and bossy so I was sort of like the MD and I was writing songs getting everyone together and everyone was it was a real like there was five of us and everyone had an idea of what the band was and we didn't really agree and there was loads of tension loads of different people writing songs and that band was so much better because we all purported to not give a monkey's yeah, right. yeah. It just made me give up on my dreams because like, I'm in this band I don't care about. And even my yeah. songs for that band are better than anything that I wrote deliberately for my band. Mm. Even though I kind of said, oh, yeah, we need something to play at the beginning. So, and you you're know. trying too hard. Just yeah, to trying too hard is a problem. But I think that's that, that, it's sort of funny with gigs and things because sometimes I often wonder like, how much of something going badly is just a weird choice you make in your mm-hmm. head. That there's probably a, a little switch where sometimes you go, well, if you, if you turn up somewhere and you, when you say, oh, I've done that gig loads of times, it's a lovely gig. It's just, there's probably something, but you, when you go there, the audience is going to be completely different than we're there the last time. And yet you've done something in your head where you go, you oh, that's a lovely gig. So, you, so something in your own brain that decides, I'm going to have a nice time tonight. And you do. Because oh, then no. it just, then it. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, it never works like that. As soon as I say, oh, I'm going to have a lovely gig, that's when it's the worst gig I've ever had. But that would also suggest that you're slightly self-destructive, Nick, and your brain goes, you're not going to have a nice gig. I think that um, I always think I'm not going to have a nice gig. And uh, if you do, it's a lovely surprise. And if I do, it's a lovely surprise. And so and uh, with that attitude, I end up having uh, more good gigs than I would do if I went and going, this is going to be great. I think that though that uh, uh, nervous energy of thinking that you're going to die, I mean, this is, I mean, it's been it's so stressful. I mean, I haven't kicked all year because, mm. and, and I've never felt better. But because I realised that I was carrying around twelve years of just thinking I'm going to die at every point, and uh, people are going to uh, walk out and tell me how shit I am. But it's just sort of like, and that rarely happens. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, I think that's interesting. I, I mean, I'm similar. <laughs> I have a thing where I get increasingly like, oh, I'm sort of. I'm always sort of frightened about it going poorly, and sometimes that that is a real battle. I think in your head to sort of keep going, whereas actually the reality of it is. It actually goes badly a tiny percentage of the time, but yeah. that, those times really, the weight of them build up much, much more than having nice gigs. But also, you just think, what if it goes wrong? What if it goes badly? And then you start in your head going, well, if it goes badly, I'll do this, 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 and this, and then, and and, and then you start planning for it actually being a bad gig. When in mm. actual fact, when you're on stage and it goes badly, or you get heckled, I mean, it's like trying to trying to prepare yourself for a heckle that that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do this. I, I'm, I'm, I can be too relaxed about gigs, and sometimes I, I kind of, sometimes, I'm about to go on, and I think, oh, I hadn't even crossed my mind that I'll be performing. Maybe that's a bad thing, but it generally isn't because I kind of just surprise myself mm. by being there, and I assume that it's going to be alright, and then it is, and then when some, if something odd happens, I tend to go, you know, oh. It's a surprise. But I do, and I if I don't gig, I get really twitchy. It's a real natural outlet. But mm. I think you're. I think you're an incredible live performer. I think you're a really fun person to watch. No, but partly are, because you are like that, you come on, and that, I, I don't think I see people as relaxed as you. Almost surprisingly so. I think there's that, especially as you have sort of lots of technical things in your act that it feels like I'd be thinking, oh god, I've got to, got to do that bit, and I've got to make sure I. I, I, I click this bit yeah. and I do this. And I think whereas that nervous actually, energy, lots of people really thrive on that, whereas nerves and worry, they just don't help me. I just In mm. life, I just think, no, it's not helping me to do that. When, when I get more rubbish. I think that every time I am relaxed about a gig, it goes badly. Mm -hmm. And so then I've got that in my head. So then I get so stressed out about gigs that it's almost unhealthy. Mm. And I, then when I do them, I do great. But And I take that nervous energy on stage. And you turn it into a good thing. And I turn it into a thing. Mm. Yeah. But, um, but the, it's the ones when I'm relaxed is the ones where you're just like, oh, God, you're not really in the room. I like an element. I think the only thing I need in terms of like like uh, alchemy to change it, I would really like to just like just be doing the gig. But it's good when there's a surprise. But it's like I like to just be distracted. The perfect gig is if someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, do it now. And you're just in like that, so you're almost just surprising yourself with it. Yes, yeah. There's, I, there, I can't imagine any useful preparation apart from being so ready that you don't have to think about the stuff like hitting the pedals or playing the guitar. Well, I think I'd love uh, to be you for better. <laughs> but no, but it's right. For, I'd love to be you <laughs> for better or worse. I think you have that thing where you come in and you're either nervous, but as the sort of applause is going as you're walking onto the stage, you're either going. Oh God! Or you're going. I'm. I'm really up for it. Or yeah, yeah. So it's either one. Whereas it's almost like I think when I see you perform, you almost seem to have not. You seem to just be so kind of zen about it as a as a thing. So it does feel like you do belong on stage, and you're very like. Oh. 
Well, I do, sometimes I think that works against me because people think, oh, yeah, he's all right. So they don't invest. Do you know what I mean? They're like, audiences think, yeah, he'll be fine. People will be watching him. Right. And do you feel that? Like, <laughs> do you feel that like you don't get as much back as other acts? No, I think like, once yeah. I'm there, I get it. I just think in the wider scheme of things, right. people don't think of me as having any kind of needs in terms of, <laughs> you know, buying he tickets to see me or giving me <laughs> jobs on the television, this kind of thing. He'll be fine. He's got it all sorted. Look at him on stage. It's perfect. <laughs> Meanwhile, anyone want to come and see my show? No, you'll be fine, mate. You, you'll be all right. Mm. <laughs> um, I'll definitely buy a ticket next time. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's too late. Um, <laughs> but I was gonna, I was just going to say that that thing about the future, whether you're writing or it's the psychology, is that it will never be quite what you expected anyway. Yeah. So all preparation is almost pointless. yeah. I think that afterwards, where it is like I think I'm someone who will overthink something, whereas actually it is totally pointless because you've no idea what it's going to be like no until 30 seconds happen. before you yeah. walk on, you know. I don't know, yeah, I, you don't know how are they going to react to you until you're on the stage. Mm. And you shouldn't, so you, sh you, you shouldn't waste time thinking about it. And yet, I'm, I will go, oh, I wonder what that's going to be like, I wonder what that's like tonight. Or what. But I can't help that. But, it, you, but it's totally, it's, it's silly to do that. You should just be able to go judge it for, in the 30 seconds before you walk on, really, and go, well, it's probably going to be like this, so... Yeah, or it'll be both. Yes, yes. A lot of the time they hate me and they love me right at the same time, and you can <laughs> see their faces and the, you know, people that people are laughing, and the person next to them is just scowling at you. <laughs> and you go, oh, you mean how you men a fucking plan for that? They should all be laughing. <laughs> it's all a joke. <laughs> Um, so ask Rob what he's a fan of soon or you will run out of time <laughs> we will but this is in the a nice thing about in it a that way, I like, in a like way, we're just having a conversation in a way this is the show um, but it's not so <laughs> what should, we play? should we play oh no should we oh, oh, I yeah. think we've got time yeah, for yeah. the song um, so what, if, what are you a fan of Rob Deering um, a loads of things. Uh, you yeah, are a fan of loads of things. Yeah, yeah. I've, I mean, I've done lots of preparation for this because I didn't know how it was going to go. See what I did? <laughs> um, Amazing. Uh, what, what, give me, give me a, a type of media and I'll tell you what my favourite thing is within that media. What's your favourite song? Oh, song. One song? Yeah, you'll have one song. <sighs> At the moment, I'm listening to a lot of Sigrid. Oh, yeah. It's G Sigrid. I always want to say Sigrid. I don't know Sig Sigrid. Sigrid, she's a new pop star. She's got a few things. I took my daughter to see it at Brixton Academy, and she's got choruses. It's what's, good. What's uh, Sigrid's? What, 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 what's the? What's her thing? What's her USP? What, she's what very. Am I she's quite simple. She's quite austere. She wears a white T-shirt. She's got a great voice, and she's got good choruses and verses, and like that's it. It's very kind Sigrid of. Sigrid uh, makes me think European from somewhere. She's Norwegian. Norwegian. Yeah. She lovely. makes me think of a Las Vegas magician with a <laughs> tiger. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, or indeed, all creatures, Roy. great and small. Yes. I think it's interesting because one of your things you've put is, is Christmas songs. I love a Christmas song. I, yeah, yeah. I quite I, often collect Christmas albums from often from artists who I wouldn't get other albums by because I know like the idea of them. No, it's a wonderful thing, and I, I like. Uh, I've got a Metallica Christmas album. Yeah, I don't know if it's an album or a twelve-inch single, but uh, I own it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you listen to it at length? Not throughout the year. <laughs> <laughs> and some Christmases even not then. It was a gift. Yeah. And do you, do you like, like uh, where do you stand? Where, would you say something like, oh, what is it? Um, uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. What is it? What's it called? The Power of Love. Power of Love. Would you count that? Because it's not 
actually a Christmas song. Well, yeah, but I it think, has a video which would suggest. I think it. you have to ultimately, if you have a big hit at Christmas, that you then you come become per se a Christmas song. <laughs> These days, the, the, that makes me think of Paul Young's Living the Love of the Common People. That is not a Christmas song. It's Christmas <laughs> number one. So when yeah. they play it on Magic, you're like... Oh, it's Christmassy. It's, come on, guys, it's not Christmas. What are you doing? It depends Stay if... Stay another it, day It depends. another example. Yeah, but that feels like a Christmas yeah. song. But it also depends if the song uh, evokes the feeling of Christmas within you. It yes. could be like a Chris. It could be a number one Christmas song, but I don't really feel like... Uh, what's the Donnie Darko one? Mad World. Oh, yeah, Mad World. I don't yeah, feel like that. It doesn't that make one. me feel like... No, I it doesn't. That and again, that was a kind of anti-Christmas single, wasn't it? It, it was, was like, a, we're not going to do the Christmas one. And I don't was like the, other the cynicism. One? Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. And that doesn't feel like a Christmas no. song. No, but so that's just a statement about Christmas charts rather than... Yeah, sure. Well, Stay Another Day isn't about Christmas. Well, they put fucking bells It's got a bell on it, hasn't it? It's got four bells. No, I'm sure they're all. So I do love a Christmas song, and I like to, you know. And when Bussard don't like them, I think I don't listen to them. Then it's just such a good moment. That that Phil Spector Christmas album is absolutely fucking incredible. Super, super. I've got that as a as a album. As is the Nat King Cole one that you mentioned earlier. But the Phil Spector one comes with a fold out poster of Phil Spector wearing a beard and uh, and his little speech, you know, and and him like peering very. (laughs) And you meant to stick that on your fucking wall? Yeah, yeah. The monkeys have got one. I'm quite excited about this year. They've, they've released a new, a new Christmas one. record with, with, I think, original songs. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm less excited about that than you are, but I'm sure it'd be nice to investigate. Sure. I went to see the Monkees a couple of years ago, uh, and uh, they had, like, you know, the, the Monkees TV show used to have the cartoon of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so who is it? It was Mike Nesbitt. Mickey, Smith. Mike Nesmith. Mickey M- Dolan. Mike Nesmith. Uh, Mickey Dolan's Peter Talk Peter Talk David Jones David Jones David Jones obviously is dead now died Mm -hmm. so they just took his face off all the merchandise (laughs) so you buy a monkey I I thought it was just the most cynical sickest thing I've ever seen (laughs) it was like basically you had the 60s cartoons of the, the, the monkeys but not Davy Jones, mm, and it said the monkeys. And I've bought the T-shirt because I just said the some. I've been. He's he's now in his own locker. Um, oh, oh. I, I've got a theory about the monkeys. Would you like to hear it? I love it. I love um, a theory. You know, um, I'm not sure if I'm up for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, you know how the monkeys are spelt wrong. Well, in fact, yes. I'm, I'm, I say it's a theory. I'm pretty confident this is true. They called them the monkeys spelt wrong because the Beatles were yes. spelt wrong. Yeah, but yeah. the monkeys is not a joke, and the Beatles is. Yes. So they hadn't got the joke. They yes, yes, the yes. With the monkeys, it should be keys, as in you, yeah, piano keys, yeah, piano keys, keys, and keys. And that's, that's the not same how they that spell monkeys. it. No. That's not how they spell it. No, but um, and I think a lot of people never got the Beatles joke because they're so famous. It blinds you to the idea that they might be coming from a point. Yeah, of but the play. Beatles, right? The Beatles didn't really get the Beatles joke. When you hear them talk about it, they go, "Well, we really like Buddy Holly and the Crickets." And see, crickets is two things, isn't it? Crickets is an insect, and it's also a sport. Yeah. <laughs> no, crickets isn't a sport. <laughs> Cricket is a sport. Yeah. And it's just like, and what's that got to do with... Buddy Holly and the crickets weren't calling themselves the crickets because mm. of the sport. 
What the f- what? Isn't the Beatles Buddy Holly also? And, be Buddy Holly and the Cricketers. Yes. <laughs> right. So what, I mean, so you haven't got it right. right? It's just silly, right? isn't it? It's just and silly. The Beatles. Mid-off. And the Beatles is the like Beatles because of Mersey Pig. So we wanted to sound like insects because of because of Buddy Holly and the Crickets. But then also we wanted to have that whole <laughs> Mersey Beat vibe. <laughs> that's quite a good pull. It's a really it's good, good pull. Just enjoying the pull. You, gotta, you should do a bit of head wobbling. Because I normally. <laughs> <'cause> I, <laughs> what was that? I'm, what trying, was that? To, I'm trying to do Ringo now. Because <laughs> I normally play the packing cases, don't I? <laughs> it's a good, good Ringo. It's, very it's good. a good Ringo. I didn't mean to slip into one. I don't know who I am or where I'm from. Oh. You sound like you're trying to be George. <laughs> Hello, George. Yeah. <laughs> I'm anyway getting to George is by doing that really horrible bit where it's like... Um, if you tell me you want to play, I'll fucking play it. That really depressing <laughs> bit from the. Uh, yeah, if you tell me you what, want to play, Paul, I'll just What's the bit that they spoof in Father Ted? What's that from? And it's going, just play the note. <laughs> just play that when they're doing the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Is that it from might be. It might be. Um, Can I just say as well that the, the Bootsy Collins Christmas album, even within Christmas album judgment, is absolutely awful, absolutely appalling. <laughs> it's Christmas album, unlistenable. Whereas the James Brown one, either called uh, Power Christmas, uh, uh, Santa's Got a Brand New Bag, um, Soul Christmas, any of those compilations I think the, are all ter- the first, tremendous. The original Elvis tremendous. one is amazing. The Twisted Sister Christmas album is appalling. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to do this. We've got to do the uh, the, the we quiz. We have to do it. We do have to do it, but we don't have to do it right now. We almost do, right? We almost do, but just, <laughs> just don't. I've got one eye on the clock. I know what we're doing. But we'll one do eye it on now. On the clock. On the clock. And uh, it's got one eye on the clock. I can't do it. <laughs> oh, I've got one eye on the clock, it's, guys. It's new, <laughs> and so that's how we came up with it. Because I, I came out of the studio one day and I said, I've got one eye on the clock. <laughs> and that's why it's called One Eye on the Clock. I'm not as good as the impressions of the Beatles. <laughs> I'll tell you yes! what, guys. <laughs> it's been a real hard day's night. <laughs> oh, that's where we got the idea from. Because <laughs> it's not seven days in the week, there's eight days <laughs> in a week. All right, all right. I'm John Lennon. <laughs> let, it, let it be. <laughs> it's okay. tremendous. What's happening? Okay, this is the game. It's better or worse. You have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before. Mm. Starting with Henry Fonda. Is better. Ja- oh, oh. oh, yeah. yeah is Jane work. Fonda better or worse than Henry Fonda? Oh, she's worse. Worse. She is worse. Is Bridget Fonda better or worse than Jane Fonda? She's worse. Worse. See, I think she might be better. I'm going to no. go better. It is Morgan Freeman better or worse than Bridget Fonda? Uh, better. I'm going to say worse. I think he's better than he seems. Bridget he's, Fonda. He's, he's like Bridget Fonda. She was in. She was it's in the entirely based on my own opinion. Yeah, yeah. She was in Army of Darkness. Jackie it's, Brown is the is her high point. Is Jennifer Jason Lee better or worse than Morgan Freeman? Uh, yeah, maybe better. I like Jennifer Jason. She's all right. Is Robert Duvall better or worse than Jennifer Jason? Better. 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 Is Tilda Swinton better or worse than Robert Duvall? Oh, the high cards. The high cards. I like Tilda Swinton a lot, but Robert Duvall is high cards. I think think you're right. I think Duvall is better. Uh, Gary Oldman better or worse than Tilda Swinton? Ooh, Mm. worse. Worse. I think maybe worse. Yeah, I like it. It's a high card. Is Orson Welles better or worse than Gary Oldman? How old is Orson Welles? He went off the boil so badly. Young Orson Welles. 
Uh, Orson Welles in that alcohol advert. <laughs> Gary Oldman or Gary Youngman? Which one? Which is <laughs> Gary Oldman is better than Orson Welles. Oh, Orson Welles is worse. Uh, I think I, I might know. have to go Welles over Oldman. Yeah, I, I take it back already. Sure. I like Orson Welles' personality as well as his work. And finally, Samuel L. Jackson. Better or worse than Orson Welles? Worse. I think worse. I think I'd say. Better. Better. Worse. And went the other way. It's worse. weird, though, because it's all based on... <laughs> My so, own opinion. It doesn't mean anything. It's all based on Nat's opinion, and he did tell you before what he thought. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I realised. Oh, you got and five. five. You got five. five. Right. I thought you were really obnoxiously just shouting in, in my ear how long, <laughs> much time he had left. But no, it was how many, what your score was, five. Did I have to get it right according to your doctrine? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Well, that's a stupid game. So you got five. It is a stupid game. <laughs> no, no, That's absolutely what it is. <laughs> you're uh, in good Correct. company. You're there with uh, Yasmin Akram with five, uh, and uh, only Jack Berry with four, and Sam Ashurst with three is beneath three. It's beneath you. Um, so that's uh, so that's not it's not a great score. Have you anything <laughs> you'd like to plug? No, I just want to say at this point that I, uh, I won Mastermind without getting my questions wrong and I won the weakest link. So, you know, if it was a slightly more sensible game, well, I probably would have done oh, better. Oh, absolutely. Okay. But this absolutely isn't a sensible game. <laughs> I think it's important to clarify that. What's your Mastermind? Subject, Jane Aust- novels of Jane Austen. Oh, lovely oh. stuff. That was a happy autumn. Finished the Edinburgh Festival and I had a tour in November. Anyway, that's all we got I spent time for. The six <laughs> weeks between the two. No, no keep Great going. Enough, Just studying what, Jane. Uh, what, for, did, were you already a fan and then you did yeah. Mastermind? Yeah. And then what's the sequel to Pem, uh, Pemberley? Is that the sequel to Pride Death at Pemberley is the sequel to, or Pemberley, but you know, she didn't write it, so I don't care. Well, I, in many ways, I prefer that one. I prefer Death in Pemberley and Suspiria, uh, Star though. Wars episode uh, eight. What about the <laughs> Suspiria remake? What do you think about that? Loved it. Loved it. I love Suspiria. You, uh, the original is untouchable. Oh, we know that. So I just watched this as its own separate thing and I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. It's good. I was, I'm able, capable of doing that. I'm 38. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to get upset by lesser no. artists tampering with my childhood. The only thing I wanted was... You can't tamper with my childhood. It's in a glass <laughs> box in my brain. I wanted them to make it with kids. So, because it feels like yes. it should have been kids. And Harry Potter's with kids, so it'd be kind of like a fun I always describe Suspiria to people uh, as... Uh, it's, it's like Harry Potter with witches. We've, we've run out of time. We have run out of time. Uh, it's been lovely talking to you. It's been lovely you. to talk to you. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming in. I'm, what am I going to play? Oh, I'll play uh, Sigrid. There we go. Uh, thanks for coming in. Thank uh, you. Thanks for playing this song. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to FUBARradio.com.